So how's that for waffling, contradicting, and then not picking an answer at the end? Diz Runs Radio, episode 895, starts in three, two. Welcome back to Diz Runs Radio, where I talk with runners from all corners of the running world about running, life, and everything in between. I'm your host, Denny Cray, and it's just about time to head out the door for an easy run and a great conversation. So if you're ready, then I'm ready. Let's get started. Well, 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 here we are. End of another month, post-Thanksgiving hangover in full effect, at least for us here in the States. It's uh, the day after Thanksgiving, it's uh, it's Black Friday, and it's time for a little Q&A around these parts. So if you're new here, this is something that we do each and every month. Not just a, It's not just a post-Thanksgiving situation. It's every month. The last Friday of every month is dedicated to your questions, my answers, hopefully... Uh, a little bit of useful information, useful advice, useful uh, something useful <laughs> mixed in there as well. And we've got uh, we got a bunch of questions today. I was a little nervous when uh, looking at it. It says there's 65 comments on the thread because that's how you get your questions answered uh, each month towards the uh, middle of the month. I put a post up in the Facebook group uh, and say, what are your questions this month? People put the questions in the comments. Like I said, there's 65 comments this month. Only 32, I think, questions. So, you know, apparently y'all are starting to answer each other's questions as well. Proven that uh, that, that maybe the, the Q&A episodes aren't, uh, I don't know, that I'm not the end-all be-all, I guess, is the point of that. Um, but anyway, all I'm trying to say is if you're new to these parts and you have a question you'd like me to answer in a future episode of the Q&A, join the Facebook group. That's the best place to get your questions uh, you know, qu- get your questions submitted. I will then answer them. Dizruns.com slash Facebook is the link. It'll direct you right there to uh, the Facebook page. Or you can, you know, if next time you're on Facebook, point to uh, the group, the Dizruns tribe. Come on down, get your questions asked, and I will get them answered on the last Friday of each and every month. Um, these episodes recently, since y'all have been asking a bunch of questions, tend to run a bit long. We'll see how this goes today, it will, whether it's long I mean, there's 32 questions, so it's going to be at least uh, 32 minutes because Lord knows I can't read a question and answer it all in one minute. Um, but will it be 64? Will it be 96? Who knows? Will it be longer than that? Possibly. We'll see. Let's uh, let's saddle up and uh, see where it takes us. The uh, November 2020 Thanksgiving edition of the Q&A, monthly Q&A episode. So first question from Western New York. My man, Tom, simple, straightforward Sparing no words, which I like to see. Stuffing or mashed potatoes? Obviously, a lot of Thanksgiving-themed questions, at least the first half, the first handful. A lot of Thanksgiving-themed th- uh, questions. And uh, this is a good one, Tom. And, and you know, it, it's one of those answers where my, my first inclination is to say stuffing or dressing. And I don't even know the difference. I guess stuffing goes in the bird. Dressing is made outside of the bird. I don't know. But it's the bread, you know, the bread and the spices and all the things. Um and that's my first inclination to answer the question. Like, do I would, I would I rather have stuffing or mashed potatoes at Thanksgiving? Probably stuffing. But then I think about it a little bit more. And, you know, with where I am in the low-carb situation and um, definitely having some gluten type of something, some type of, of wheat, uh, maybe not gluten, probably gluten, but whatever, wheat, you know, wheat doesn't set well with me. Um, 
you know, that would make me lean more towards potatoes. But then when it comes to Thanksgiving, like if there's one day that I'm going to go a little bit nuts and not worry about ingredients and carb content and things like that, it's probably going to be Thanksgiving. So then I lean back towards stuffing. But then I start to think about it a little bit more and go, good stuffing, good dressing, good whatever, good bread mixture that goes with uh, the Thanksgiving meal is hard to come by. But good stuffing is really good. So good stuffing, yes. Mashed potatoes, I mean, they're not great, but it's really hard to make bad mashed potatoes. So, you know, if I if I had to like order from a menu or, you know, or you know, just just say, "Hey, which am I going to like more?" I mean, it's probably going to be the mashed potatoes because they're not going to be terrible versus the stuffing, like like okay stuffing is pretty bad, you know? Um so on the surface, stuffing versus mashed potatoes. I mean, I'll take I'll take the stuffing for sure if it's good stuffing. But odds are it's going to be not good stuffing. So I guess I would take the mashed potatoes because I'm not going to be disappointed in the mashed potatoes. I'm not going to get you know this big heaping spoonful and be like, oh yeah, today's the day. We're going to blow it out because it's Thanksgiving and take that first bite and just be like, oh, less upside to the potatoes, much less downside to the potatoes. So I guess hedge my bets and say say both. I don't know. I mean, both obviously would be ideal. Um, If I had to choose, I'll take good stuffing, but when in doubt, potatoes are the safe bet. Next question from Martin, also Turkey Day related. What is a must-have for Turkey Day related? What is a not-at-any-cost item for Turkey Day? Um, I mean, I think that the answer is in the question, right? What is a must-have for Turkey Day? you got to have turkey on Thanksgiving, which, update to what I may have hinted at last week, it appears that we that, that turkey is now uh, once again on the menu for uh, the, the Thanksgiving meal that I will be attending, uh, which is a relief, which is which is good news. Um, there's a whole story to that, which maybe we'll get into someday. Probably not, but there's there's a whole story to it. Basically, I was like, whatever, and Rebecca was like, I, you know, then I may have let something slip, and then Rebecca was like, I knew it, I knew you wanted turkey, and then she tells her mom, and then oh well, we'll make turkey for Thanksgiving. So I'm the ungrateful son-in-law that that was trying to just go along go along without ruffling feathers, which is a, a fun choice of words considering that we weren't going to have turkey, so no feathers were going to be rusted any, rustled anyway. Uh, and yet somehow I'm ungrateful, and feathers have been rustled, and turkey is supposedly back on the menu. But that's that's that, I mean that's the most obvious must-have. Like how how do you have Thanksgiving without turkey? I don't know. It, it doesn't doesn't compute to me. Um, but then, you know, like the green bean casserole, that's a must. Um, cranberry, some type of cranberry sauce, whether it's straight out of the can is still kind of jiggling and you can still see the, the indentations from the can. I mean, that's not the ideal, you know, some type of like properly made with like real cranberry, cranberry sauce is, is ideal. But, you know, we'll take cranberries as we can get them. Uh, that's also kind of a must, especially because, you know, my mother-in-law makes really good turkey, by the way. But typically, you know, turkey's dried out, not too great. We'll slather it up with some, you know, you still got to have the turkey. And you slather it up with the cranberries, and there we go. Good to go. Um, or some gravy, but I'm not a big gravy fan. I'll take the cranberries on the turkey over the gravy. Um, and then the last but not least, must have apple pie. I mean, slam dunk. Like, pff, apple pie. Game over. Moving on. Uh, what is a not-at-any-cost item for, tur- for uh, Turkey Day? Um, you know, I mean, I'm pretty equal opportunity for Thanksgiving. Like I, I like a lot of things, you know, some things I can take it or leave it, but, um, the things that, that, you know, don't no. these are not things like, well, I don't know, maybe the Thanksgiving foods, but like, I'm not touching them. 
not touching them, want nothing to do with them, would be, you know, whatever type of orange root vegetable, whether it's, you know, or I guess not root vegetable, but orange vegetable, some, maybe a root vegetable, maybe not, you know, it's talking squash, talking yams, talking sweet potatoes, mash them up and bake them with, uh, marshmallows on the top, hard pass, delicious without the marshmallow. Why would you ruin sweet potatoes, winter squash, uh, or even, you know, some type of yams by candy in them with marshmallows, hard pass. Like there's, there is a 0.0% chance that anything baked with marshmallows on top is ending up on my plate. Like, I don't even like, Ugh, come on, come again. That's, that is ridiculous. Um, and then the other thing, I mean, you know, this one is, is pumpkin pie, please pumpkin pie. Um, and, and honestly, like, I don't even have that much in them. It's, it's a texture issue for me. Um, but like, I want a pie that like, I can feel like I'm eating, not like I'm feel like I'm mushing. And so that's why apple pie will trump, will always trump pumpkin pie. Puh. Save the, save the pumpkin pie. I don't need it. Uh, so that's, that's my not at any cost and my must haves. Uh, thank you for the question, Martin. Hope that you all have a, uh, a very good Thanksgiving in, uh, in Georgia as well. Um, Chris Short coming through with the one, two, three, four, five in a row. The what, what do you call what do you call five in a row? It's not like a trifecta, uh, a pent a pentecta. I don't know. Five. The next five questions, all from PA. Uh, have you ever thought about renaming your Friday episodes to just tips? Funny guy. Funny guy. You know, you ask me a thousand questions in the in the Q in the Q and A, and then complain that they're too long. Well, I guess I don't make any any uh, references to the Q and A episodes being quick tips. Like this is going to be a long one. Buckle up. Um, and the quick tips. I mean, aren't really quick anymore. So, you know, I, I, maybe it's one of those like, like hyperbole names, you know, where it's like, we'll call it the, the quick tip, even though it's not quick, it's, it's long, it's, it's just a tip. Um, you know, but, uh, but yeah, you know, no, no thoughts on renaming it. It's, it's, it's set. It's going to be the quick tips, no matter how long they end up having happening to be, uh, next question, best Christmas song. I mean, best, like that's, that's, that's a tall order. Lots of good ones out there Uh, off the top of my head. The ones that, that I'm most likely to uh, really, you know, kind of go out of my way to try to find, or, you know, definitely stop when I'm scanning through the radio or something like that would be um, uh, rocking around the Christmas tree. Um, uh, What's another good one? Rocking around the Christmas tree. Holly Jolly Christmas is a good one. Um, the, the hallelujah chorus is always, is always a nice one when you, especially if you get like the choir singing that one at, at church on Christmas Eve. Um, I don't know. I mean, those are, those are the good ones, but for me, I mean, most, most Christmas songs are good in certain versions. And then you get some, some different, different people putting their own spin on it. And you're just like, Oh, this song is terrible. Like not the song, the version. So, you know, I'm, I'm pretty much good for most things, depending on, on the version. Uh, worst Christmas song, follow-up from Chris Short, or the next question, the, the, the third round of his five-parter. Um, again, not, not so much as terrible songs, just terrible versions. Um, and, and nothing that really comes up, you know, comes right to mind, but it's just, you know, I, I kind of like more of the up, upbeat, kind of fun, um, still the classic versions, but like kind of like the, the more fun versions of songs. Um, so when they get really slowed down and really like, like hushed and muted, like, I'm just kind of like, ugh, like let's pump it up a little bit. Um, uh, but one song that, uh, that does, you know, kind of come to the, to the surface, if you will, or maybe sinks to the bottom when you're talking about worse, I don't know. Does it bubble to the surface or does it sink to the bottom? Um, would be 12 days of Christmas. Like, 
like, I think I just don't like it because it's like every kid's program ever is like, we got to sing the 12 days of Christmas. And it's just, it never ends. Never ends. 12 days of Christmas. Not, not my cup of tea. That is for sure. Uh, question number four in the five part Chris short. Yeah. Should we name your, uh, whatever. I was going to make some kind of joke about your last name and not be long, but whatever. That, that was not a good, that was not well thought through. Obviously. Uh, next question. What is Diz thankful for this year? Now this, this one, it's a loaded question. Um, and, and I feel like it's, it's, it's even more difficult question to answer given that 2020 has been a year for everybody. Right. And, and like at, at the risk of, um, I don't know, at the, at the risk of, of sounding whatever too grateful. Uh, I don't know if that's quite the right way to say it, but like, like, it hasn't been as bad of a year for us, I don't think, as it has been for a lot of folks. Um, so I guess I'm thankful for that. But, but I feel terrible saying that because, you know, if, if this year has been a real struggle for you, like, that sucks, you know? But but for us, like, it's been it's been not great, but not terrible. And, you know, grading against the curve, like, I guess I'm thankful for that, right? Um, Business-wise, like, things haven't fallen off terribly like they have for so many people's businesses this year. Um you know, like, I don't know that we're going to have quite the same, uh, you know, revenue as last year, but it's not going to be off by much. Uh, so mostly help, you know, holding steady, which again, in, in 2020, like kind of feel like that's, that's kind of a win. Um, you know, running wise, like I didn't have any big race plans, sort of the, the, you know, goofy, I ran goofy at the beginning of the year. Um, and that still happened. So like, I got you know, thankful that, that the races that I was really planning on running, like I still got, I mean, the one race, uh, still got to run it. Um, you know, the rest of the year running wise, like, like I've been healthy, uh, hitting my, my mileage goals, you know, like I'm going to blow past, uh, the, the run in the year, probably, you know, either like the, the 30th of, of November or the 1st of December, something like I'm like, right on track to finish with a, a full month to spare. Um, so like, I'm super thankful about that. Um, you know, like, like, yeah, there's plenty of things to be thankful for. Like my girls are healthy, like a family's healthy. Um, like, and again, one of those things that not everybody can say that this, I mean, not everybody can say that every year, but you know, even it's just kind of right there, uh, for everybody to, to hear about as far as numbers and statistics and things like that due to COVID. And, you know, for the most part, you know, touch wood and, and subject to change and potentially always potentially to change until the vaccine really happens and is out there and, and, you know, people are getting it, but you know, we've been inconvenienced by COVID, um, but not like super, super impacted, uh, you know, our family and even like the, the more extended family. And, and I'm thankful for that, you know, like, like we've been, we've been fortunate. And so uh, I hope that that doesn't come across as insensitive to those that aren't, haven't been as fortunate on the COVID front this year and, and, you know, health or businesses or incomes or life or whatever. Um, but, but yeah, I mean, lots I don't have to dig very far below the surface to realize I have a lot to be thankful for this year and every year, of course, but, uh, certainly, certainly this year because of, of how much of a mess this year has been for so many people. And, and certainly thankful for that. Uh, last question from Chris short, how many questions can we ask until this turns into a two part Q and a, um, yeah, funny guy with all the questions and then asking how many is too many. Uh, honestly, I mean, there is no, there is no too many. I, I've thought about, you know, like if, if these get really long, like, do I cut it off at one point and make it a part a and a part B? Um, and I've just decided that, you know what? No, we're just going to roll through it. No matter, no matter how many questions, if this ever gets to, to be in, you know, 50, 60 questions a month, then I don't know, 
we'll cross that bridge when we get there. Um, but for now, you know, when they're, when they're an hour, they're two hour episodes, something like that. Like, I know that's a lot. Uh, it's a lot for me to, to, to expect you to, or hope that you might listen through to that. Um, but the beauty about podcasts is you can, you can decide when enough is enough for today and you press pause and you come back the next day, right? Like I don't have to be the one that says, all right, well, I'm going to answer 12 questions today. And, uh, the, the, the remaining 14 questions will be on, on, you know, next, next week's episode. Like I thought about doing that, but I think that, that for right now, at least, um, there'd probably be a number, you know, if we get to the point where my voice just can't hold out for four hours straight of me yammering on about answering questions then maybe we'll do, you know, two Q and A's per month or something like that. Um, but for now, I think that, uh, we'll just power through and, and you know, if you, if, if you're finished your run or you finished running your errands or whatever it is, and there's still, um, still 45 minutes left today, you're welcome to sit in the car and continue to listen, um, or just press pause and come back to it the next time. Right. And so for some folks, it's great for the long run. You get full, whatever this ends up being an hour and a half or two hours in, Hey, good to go. For some folks, Hey, press pause, come back. Um, so that way you can decide whether it becomes a two-parter. Uh, instead of me deciding whether it's a two-parter. So hope that makes sense. Uh, but thank you, as always, for for the questions, uh, Chris Short. And spoiler alert, for those of you that don't get enough Chris Short in your life, I think he's on Monday's episode of the podcast. I don't know. We recorded an interview not too long ago, and he's coming up soon. So, you know, if you want, want to hear more of his shenanigans, stay tuned. Uh, but anyway, uh, next question comes from Jill from the left coast. Uh, what is the quote-unquote right way to swing your arms while you run? Also, when I hear bend at least... Uh, bend them at less than 90 degrees. Is there a minimum? Sometimes I feel like my arms get all comfy with themselves and are at like 30 degrees. So, you know, this is one of those where I think that, that it's easy to maybe overthink it, Jill. Um, so, so first and foremost, when it comes to the right way to swing your arms, I mean, there, there is, there is no right or wrong necessarily. You know, this is kind of one of those that you got to do what works best for you. And you can always find examples of somebody who's like, yes, you should only do it this way. And then you can be like, oh, well, this guy, you know, is, is an elite marathon or a professional Olympic champion, a, a majors champion, whatever. And, you know, their form, their, their quote unquote form is, is quote unquote wrong, not quote unquote form. Their form, their, the way that they run is quote unquote wrong. And yet they're still, you know, one of the best runners in the world. So, you know, you can always find a, a, an exception to, to every rule or every piece of advice, um, which is why I say there's no necessarily right way. Um, that said, from a physiological perspective, from a, a biomechanical perspective, um, you're going to be more likely to be efficient. You're going to get more benefit from your arm swing if, you're, if your arms are swinging as close to straight front to back as possible. Meaning if, as you're running, like, you know, your arms, if they're kind of brushing your sides as you're running, um, that's kind of quote unquote ideal. If they start swinging too much laterally, if your hands are kind of crossing your midline, which would be like, if you drew a line kind of straight down from your you know, forehead across your nose, down, cutting your mouth, you know, in half, uh, and just straight down your body that way. So you had a, a distinct right side and a left side, that would be the midline of your body. And if your if your arms or hands, as you're swinging them while you're running are crossing over that, you're creating a lot of, of kind of torsional force or, or lateral forces, um, in your upper body. So your upper body is starting to, you know, kind of swinging and rotating and, and moving side to side when you're running is going forward, right? So, um, you're, you're kind of creating some force and some, some movement up top that is not going to, that your body then has to overcome to keep running in a straight line versus when your arms are swinging front to back, um, you're kind of generating that, that same forward and back momentum with your arms, with your, with your upper body while you're running. Um, and that's going to just help keep you more efficient, going to give your body less to have to fight against to keep running straight ahead. So in theory, you're going to be more likely to be more efficient. You're going to be more likely to, um, be supporting, you know, your upper body is going to be more likely to support 
your your upper or your lower body to support your running um, when they're swinging front to back or you know forward and back, as opposed to a little bit more of a side to side. But ultimately, it kind of comes down to just kind of like like you know do do what works best for you, what feels most right for you. And I definitely lean into that when it comes to what is the ideal bend. Like, is it ninety degrees? Is it you know less than that, more than that? Like, I don't know. Like, whatever feels comfortable for you, whatever feels normal for you. Um, the last thing I would encourage you to do is be like, you have to bend your, your, your elbow, you know, with an, an exact 84.7 degree bend at the elbow. Um, and then you're like thinking about it and worried about it and being like, Oh gosh, like, is it, is it bent too much? Is it not enough? I don't know. Like, cause then you're not relaxing and just running, which is kind of the ideal situation. So, you know, I think that it's probably safe to say that having your, your arms dead straight at your side and swinging them front to back, um, is probably not going to feel natural. Like, I guess if that does go for it, but, um, you know, whatever that bend ends up being, if it's 30 degrees, 90 degrees, hundred degrees, like whatever, it's okay. Like just kind of get what feels right and go and, and don't stress too much. If you can kind of keep them going front to back, that's probably ideal. But for most of us who aren't worried about winning Olympic gold medals and, and hundreds of thousand dollars of, of prize money, uh, for the next race we run, we run, um, you know, do what feels right, what feels normal, what feels natural for you. And, and that's good enough. You'll be all right with that. So thank you for the question, Jill. Uh, next two, both from Michaela. First one, what is your favorite part of interviewing people on the podcast? Great, great question. Um, and, and one that I kind of stopped and thought about for a little bit and, and, you know, I mean, like there's a lots of things that I enjoy, right? Like I enjoy getting to know people better, especially folks that I maybe had, had lots of, of interactions with on social media over the months or years. And then finally we get a chance to talk and dive deep a little bit and hear, you know, hear their story fleshed out a little bit more. Uh, the friendships I've made have been great. Um, uh, but by far my, my favorite part is when somebody just throws me a complete curveball with an answer that I had no idea was coming, like just completely out of left field. Like, wait a minute, hold on. You did what? You know, and, and I, I know that there's been dozens of examples of that, but, but one that, that just stands out front and center in my mind, um, I don't remember the, the exact show number. It's been probably about a year and a half or so ago, something like that. Um, I, I had Amy Mangueta on the show who's, who's happens to be married to my best friend. Um, so, you know, like, like we were talking, I had coached her for a while. Um, and so like, I thought I knew her pretty well and, and, um, you know, we're, we're chatting and this and that and the other. And at some point she was like, yeah. And you know, back in my MMA days and I was like, wait, hold up. What, what Amy, like MMA days, like when, what? She's like, oh yeah, I used to fight and do this and do that and blah, 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 blah. And like, I mean, you know, not that I like, like knew everything about her. Right. But like, I thought I knew a fair bit and had no idea that she was ever in, um, you know, ever a fighter, ever, ever in MMA. And it was just like, like those types of things. And they happen from time to time where somebody will just say something that, you know, there's an answer to a question. It's a natural part of the conversation. And they share something that I had no idea, no inclination. And usually you can probably tell, cause I'll be like, dang, like my head is still spinning about this. Like, t- like, and then the questions just become just genuine curiosity. Um, which I think I, I hope means that I'm asking some of the same questions that you might be asking when you're listening, right? Like, like just like, wait, tell me more about this or explain that. Or how does this relate to that? Or, you know, obviously whatever the case might be. So when that happens, like that's, that's my favorite. It's, it's, it's so off script. It's so off of, of, of anything that I had, you know, read about or knew about or, or anticipated. Um, and I love it. I love it. I used to not love it so much because I get nervous. Uh, but now I just lean into it and just, wow. All right. We're going down this, this rabbit hole for a little bit and let's, let's see where it leads. So that's definitely my favorite part is when something like that happens and, and it didn't happen all the time. 
but it does happen, you know, again, I mean, that, that one with Amy is the most, the most vivid in my mind, uh, when it has happened, but I feel like it happened. I mean, even just the other day when I had a, an interview, like, like it, it happens fairly regularly. And sometimes it really gets me, you know, sometimes it really gets me, but sometimes I just lean into it and just and enjoy, you know, hearing more about such and such a story that, you know, had no idea and see where it leads and, and usually leads to a good place. So a uh, great question, Michaela. Thank you for that one. And, and then the follow-up, if I may, of course you may, a uh, twist on your uh, philosophical question. What has interviewing people and podcasting taught you? So um, yes, I, I, I don't particularly appreciate when my uh, when my situations are used against me, uh, but I, I'll, you know, whatever, I'll allow it. Um, I think that, that you know, what I've... What, what, interviewing and hosting the podcast has taught me the most, um, is, is to be a better listener, to, to pay attention to what people are saying. Um, you know, if, if you go back to like the early days of the podcast, um, you know, I kind of joke about it, but it's like, kind of like, kind of am embarrassed by it too, that like, you know, I had my list of, of questions, right? Like I would write out, you know, 10 or 12 questions beforehand. And like, I would ask you a question. And no matter what your answer, no matter what kind of random, like back when I'm in my MMA day type of, of answer that you might give, um, I'd be like, all right, cool, cool. So then move on to like the next question when there's a thousand follow-up questions that I could possibly, you know, ask about this one bit of information that you gave. Um, and like, there was no very, you know, going off of the script. Like it was just like, all right, whatever your answer is, doesn't matter. Like I have my next question. We're going to answer. I'm going to ask that one next. Um, and now it's like, I write down a couple of bullet points, um, and half the time my bullet points are like, just listen and engage in the conversation. And, you know, like that's taught me to do that in the podcasting form. Um, and, and I th- hope that maybe that has played over, you know, played out a little bit into life as well. Um, you know, maybe still not the best conversationalist in, in the real world, uh, which I'm sure my wife would, uh, would, would agree with that statement. Um, but hopefully better, hopefully better because of the podcast, because of taking interest in what people are saying, really listening instead of worrying about what I'm going to say next. Like just listen and ask a question or make a comment that makes sense, keeps the conversation going. Uh, I like to think that I've I've gotten decent-ish at doing that on the show. And uh, again, hopefully that's something that's maybe kind of carried over a little bit into into the real world as well. But uh, thanks for the questions, Michaela. Appreciate you. Uh, Next couple now from uh, the other half of the short residence from Miss Melody. Uh, This says this one's not uh, not for me, just a a good question maybe. Uh, What are the signs slash effects of overtraining? So, um, you know, this is what you kind of look at it from a couple different ways. But to to me, you know, a lot of times overtraining, at least from the the kind of the physical, physiological, uh, overtraining, you're going to be like tired, fatigued all the time, uh, just kind of lethargic. Uh, maybe more mental side of things. Like you're not going to be looking forward to running. You're going to be kind of dreading every run uh, instead of feeling good. Instead of feeling like excited after a run refreshed, uh, like, yes, look at what I did. It's kind of like, ugh, like glad that one's over. Like, it's just kind of like everything just kind of turns into meh. Um, you know, burnout, overtraining, kind of the same thing. Um, maybe you see your performance start to, to erode. Uh, so, you know, if, if normally you were running, you know, three miles in, in 30 minutes and that was pretty standard and, and didn't feel like it was too hard. All of a sudden, the same level of effort, and you're like 32 minutes, 34 minutes, 36 minutes. And it's just like you're getting you're getting slower, or your 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 heart rate's higher and higher to maintain the same level of effort. Um, that's another sign of of overtraining. Um, and so, you know, I mean, that that's kind of the signs, and, and I mean, I guess kind of the effects are the same. Like you're, you're tired, you're lethargic, you're not excited about running. Potentially, you could you could 
become injured because of it, you know, depending on exactly what's going on. Maybe you're, you're, you're just fatigued and, and kind of feeling like worn down, broken down too many miles, not enough recovery. And that can certainly lead to injury. Uh, but I think maybe the, and, and obviously injuries are, are not ideal, <laughs> put it mildly. Uh, but maybe the, the most serious, I don't know if serious is the right word, but uh, maybe the most damning impact of overtraining and, and potentially burnout could, could be if you, if you just keep forcing it, you just keep going. You feel like I, I, I'm a runner and I have to keep doing this. Um, you get to a point where maybe you just say, you know what? I don't like running anymore and I'm done with it. And you, it, I'm done. I'm not running anymore. And that's, I mean, you know, like that would suck. That would suck. So, um, you know, tired lethargy, lack of motivation, no desire to run. Uh, even, you know, when you go for a run, not feeling good about it, not, not excited, not, not energized for the rest of the day. Um, I think those are all kind of signs of, of whether you want to call it overtraining burnout, um, you know, reduced performance, you know, things, things are getting worse instead of better as far as level of effort and endurance and, and how you feel. Um, and if you're, if you're feeling that kind of stuff, or noticing those types of things, like maybe a good time to, to take a step back a little bit, maybe run a little bit less, maybe don't run at all, do some other workouts, some other things, um, until you're give your body a little chance to give your mind, maybe a little bit of chance and then get back out there, uh, when you're ready, when you're ready and hopefully kind of dodge the bullet of overtraining a little bit. Next question. once again, also from melody, uh, if a friend you want to stay friends with tells you that running is bad for your knees, how do you respond? Do you even respond? What would you say? I'm specifically interested in how you would deal with this situation. So, um, it's, it's, a, it's an interesting question. I'm pretty sure it's something that we've all dealt with at, at, at some time, you know, where somebody makes a comment about how running is so bad for you, right? Whether it's bad for your knees or bad for your heart, or did you know that the first guy who ran a marathon died or, you know, whatever, all these, all these silly things that we've heard. Right. Um, and, and the wording of your question puts a smile on my face, Melody, because you say, if, if I had a friend that I wanted to stay friends with, that tells me that running is bad for your knees. How do you respond? Um, honestly, at this point in my life, I have very few friends, at least very few people that I would count as friends that aren't runners, right? Like, like, you know, most of my, my social circle, like, you know, certainly my online social circle, um, are all you clowns. So all runners. Um, and even, even in person, like there's very, like, like, I mean, how many times have I said I'm an introvert, introvert, uh, introverts, introvert, like recluse. Like I don't have much desire to go see people like ever. Um, I do it sometimes, but I don't really care to. Um, so like, you know, those, th- those people that I do go see once in a while, like they're, they're like good, good friends. And like, even if they're not runners, like they're not, they're not gonna They, they know better than to try to convince me that like running's bad for me. Right. Um, but if, if, you know, on the off chance that one of them did, cause I could maybe see that happening with, with one or two of them once in a while, especially over a couple of drinks or, and, and because of the relationship that I have with most, most of my, my, at least, you know, decent to good friends, like there's a lot of, of give and take, you know, there's a lot of, of busting balls for this and busting ovaries for that and, and just, you know, giving it and taking it. And so if one of those clowns was to be like, Hey, this, you know what? Like, Running's terrible for your knees. You probably shouldn't do it anymore. Like I would find something to go right back at them with, you know, like I would like, like my, my neighbor who I wouldn't class that good of a friend, but she's always like, you know, Marsha, Bobby, Bobby, you, know, you remember Bobby Krim. I interviewed him a, a year and a half ago. Uh, his wife, um, sits out in the, the driveway, uh, and is just like chain smokes cigarettes all day. And then tries to tell me that like, I run too much and it's not good for me and all this kind of stuff. And like, so I just kind of slough it off from her. But if I was a little bit better friends with her, I'd be like, yeah, Marsha, you're right. Maybe I should take up chain smoking cigarettes all day because that's probably less dangerous for my body than running six miles every morning. You know, like I would do something like that. Um, because 
the relationship with my good friends would be able to take it. When it's somebody like Marsha, who I, again, like, I mean, I'm, I'm an acquaintance with, not necessarily great friends or, or most of the other people in my life that I'm acquaintances with, but not really good friends. Like I would really want to be smarmy about it, but because I'm enough of an introvert that like, I just don't want to deal with the bullshit. Like I would just be like, eh, whatever. Like, okay. <laughs> You believe that because ultimately most of those people that say those types of things, like they use that as their excuse to not run. Right. Like, Oh, I don't want to run because I don't want to ruin my knees. Um, and so like me trying to tell them like, no, like actually science actually research, like there's actually lots of good reasons and lots of good information out there that actually shows that running isn't bad for your knees. Uh, Actually it's healthy and good for your knees. Like they don't want to hear that. You know, it's just like, just like, you know, all of the, the political stuff, one side or the other, you try to point out, you know, flaws in the, in the logic or the rationale from one side or the other, and they don't want to hear that. Right. And so like, you can have all the good arguments you want, all the good, you know, reasons and rationale. And they're just like, yeah, whatever. And it's the same thing in this situation. So, um, I ain't got time to engage in those kind of, of conversations that aren't going to go anywhere. So I just, whatever. Okay, I'll take, you know, if, if anything, I'll, say, I'll take my chances, you know, we'll, we'll see 20 years from now, maybe I won't be able to walk and, you know, hopefully I had, you know, then maybe I'll be kicking myself for running so much when I was in my thirties, but like, I don't think that's going to be the case. So I just kind of shrug it off, whatever, ain't worth my time to engage in those types of conversations. Um, one more for Melody, I think one more for Melody, at least one more for now. Maybe she jumps back in later. We'll see. Uh, but everyone says 2020 is the best, er, I'm sorry, 2020 is the worst year but it can't all be bad. What is the best thing that happened to you this year, running or non-running? So, um, you know, like I said above to, to your husband's question, Melody, um, lots of things to be thankful for for this year. Um, yeah, it hasn't been the best year. Um, I don't know that it's been the worst year. I mean, it's, it's the worst year because of recency bias for sure. Uh, but, you know, there's been other years that have been rough for one reason or another. Uh, but but for me, I think that, that, you know, this year, one of the best things running-wise um, has been that I've been healthy, you know, that, I, that I'm crushing my mileage goal. I mean, you know, to, to be at almost, almost 2,020 miles, uh, to pretty much be at 2,020 miles by the end of the month or the very, very first of December, like up until this point, the most miles I ever had, I think was like 1,750. So to be, you know, 370 miles more, um, or what is it? 270 miles more than I've ever run before. Uh, and by the time that, that December winds down, like I'll probably be at, you know, whatever, 250 to 300 miles more than I've ever run before. And to be healthy, to be strong, to not have dealt with any injuries this year and to really be a couple of years in a row now, basically being injury free. Like, like that's been pretty darn awesome this year. Uh, you know, from the running side of things from non-running, um, you know, I could point to some other things, but kind of double down on what I said earlier. Like, like, I feel like, like family wise, I feel like, like marriage wise, like, like, you know, it's not, no marriage is ever perfect, right? No marriage is ever like n- never has any issues or tension or anything like that. Um, but I feel like whether it's, you know, because of, or in spite of, you know, some of the, the, the COVID and the, the lockdowns and the stay at homes and the pandemics and all that type of stuff, uh, I feel like Bex and I are as good as we've ever been right now. And so that's pretty awesome, you know? So, so yeah, like it hasn't been uh, the best year, maybe, or maybe not has been the worst year. I don't know. Again, recency bias. I'm not going to say it hasn't been, but I don't know. Um, but yeah, like, like, you know, there's, there's, there's some positives in there. There's some, there's been some good things that have happened to, to, to me and to us. Uh, and hopefully if, uh, you know, you look deep enough in, in your life as well, 
uh, hopefully you can find some of those those good things uh, as well to not always just dwell on the negative because it's easy to see the negative this year. There's no question about that. Um, but you know, trying to find the positive, I think that's 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 a good thing if we can do it. So thank you for the questions, Melody, and and for uh, encouraging me to think a little bit more about some of the good things from this year as well. Uh, next question from Karen: uh, In a race, when should you kick it uh, in, kick it into gear to get to the finish line? Do you? Wait until you see it and really try to go full throttle from there, or do you have another strategy? Don't want to kick too early and not be able to have enough energy and then start fading before you get to the finish line. So great, great question, Karen. And certainly one of those things that um, I think a lot of folks and myself as well don't always think about, or at least I didn't think about it um, until you kind of have that that kick too early and start fading situation. And you start going, wait a second, how should I do this a little bit better? Uh, because that sucks. You know, when you, when you get to a certain point in a race, whether it's, you know, with a 10th of a mile to go or a quarter of a mile to go or whatever, whenever you kind of feel like, all right, we're getting close and like, I'm going to go now. And then you make it not quite all the way. And then you really just kind of like lose all that ground that you made up from pushing too hard too early. And you're just like, damn, that, that kind of didn't go according to plan. Like that, that sucks. So what I do, what I encourage uh, the, the, the athletes that I coach to do, what I would encourage you to do, Karen, um, would be kind of what you said there at the beginning to wait until you can see the finish line. Um, and there's, there's a reason for that couple reasons for that one because it obviously means that you're close enough that the risk of like going too hard too early is probably moot at that point um but the more important reason is the 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 way our our mind works and and uh the way our body works in relation to our mind is that our mind is really our governor as far as how much energy we have and how uh how much we're willing to push through right so when you're hammering it at the end of a race i don't care if it's a 5k 50k anything in the middle, anything outside of those, those extremes as well. Um, when you put the pedal to the metal and you're going full throttle for the rest of the race, like it's going to be uncomfortable. It might hurt a little bit. It's not going to be easy. It's not going to be painless. Like, like you're, you're getting after it to try to finish this thing strong and it's not comfortable. All right. Our, our minds don't exactly like our brains don't exactly like enjoy that feeling of discomfort. And, and they, they will kind of shut our bodies down a little bit. To, to prevent us from going too far, from overdoing it, right? It's kind of like a, a survival mechanism that kicks into place. However, when we can see the actual finish line, our brains are better able to go, oh, we just have to get to that point up there? We can do that. And so it kind of dulls down some of those senses a little bit and allows you to keep pushing, keep striving, keep hammering to get across the finish line. But if you look at your watch and you're like, oh, I'm at 26.0 miles. I just have two tenths to go. All right, it's go time now. Even though you can't see the finish line, you might start pushing and you might have more than enough reserve in the tank to get you that that last point two or point four or however long it ends up being because of tangents uh, to get to the finish line. But because you can't actually see it, your brain's like, wait, hold on, hold on. I know in theory, we only have a little bit to go, but we don't know for sure. So, oh, let's, let's, let's ramp up this feeling of discomfort, this ramp up this feeling of, of the burn. And let's, let's slow that engine down a little bit to, to conserve just in case we need to go farther than we think. So if you wait until you can actually see the finish line, it kind of acts like a magnet and it also allows your brain to get out of the way and just go. So that's definitely what I do is, is wait until I can legitimately see the finish line. And sometimes it's right at the last minute because if there's around a corner or it's up a hill or something like that, and you can't really see it, that's fine. Because the, the, the alternative of going like, yeah, I think it's got to be close and starting to go early is not, not ideal. Not ideal because, yeah, you, you start to fade really hard 
And that uh, is not the best feeling when you're trying to have uh, a good, strong race and you just fall off the map with, uh, you know, a hundred yards to go or something like that. So great question, Karen, and hope that, uh, you have some races coming up soon to put that, uh, that maybe advice into practice. Um, next question from, uh, New Hampshire from the Granite state, uh, Miss Carrie Nelson, do you think that 2021 will be the year I convince you to run a Spartan race? No. Next question. Follow up from Carrie. Would you entertain the thought of running a Spartan race if I fundraised for a charity of your choosing? Um, also probably no. Um, I suppose, you know, I suppose you start, you start trying to appeal to the philanthropic side of me, right? Like, well, what if I raise some money for a good cause? Then would you do it? I mean, you know, like, I guess not a hard no, but a probably no. Um, I just don't like really care to run a Spartan. You know, I, I'm not going to say never say, I'm, I'm going to not say never because we all know how that ends. When I start spouting off at the mouth about how I'm never going to do something and I end up doing it. And since I don't really want to run a Spartan, I'm not going to say I'm never going to run a Spartan because if I say I'm never going to run a Spartan, then I'm going to run a Spartan and I don't want to. So someday, is it a possibility? Sure. Is it a probability? Even if you wanted to fundraise for uh, a charity of my choice? No, not a probability. You fundraise for a charity of your choice, Carrie. I'll kick in, and uh, you know maybe one of these years when the Spartans back in in, the, in effect, hopefully next year, uh, and the and the the Florida race is back on the docket. Maybe I'll uh, come spectate. And maybe I don't. You know, I say that because I, I would come and spectate because it's just down the road from me. Um, and maybe that would be the type of thing that would actually maybe make me more interested. Is actually seeing it in the flesh, but I doubt it. I doubt it. So keep trying, keep asking, but uh, don't hold your breath, please. Next question, another one from Jill from the left coast. Uh, if 2021 improves drastically, can I talk you into hosting a Diz Runners running camp where we learn things and run and be social and stuff? I would fly across the country for that. So that that is the way that this that, that question falls into this lineup is is interesting. Because how many times have I just said, like, I don't really have that many friends. I'm not social. I like to be a hermit. I, I'd rather be, you know, I'm an introvert's introvert. Like, I mean, I said that a dozen of times. I've said that, I've said all that, you know, in the first... 12 questions today. And then here's this question of like, why don't we have a running camp and, and you know, we can come and be social and like, I mean, I'm open to the idea. Okay. And, and in fact, I think it would be fun I, I, because, because like I said, y'all are actually my friends, you know? Um, so getting together with friends, run, running with friends, like that's always a good time. Right. I don't, I don't mind that. Um, the problem is, is like, I have so many things on my to-do list and the idea of like bumping all of those to, to try to coordinate and put together some big meetup or camp or we're all going to run the same race or whatever, like, oh, that sounds daunting. That sounds daunting. And it may, you know, in my head, it may be worse than it actually would be, but like, I've got a book to write. I've got, I've got YouTube stuff I want to do. I've got, I've got all these things for the business that I really feel like are higher on the priority list right now. Um, and I mean, this is just truth talk. Like I really do. And so as much as I think it would be fun and as much as I would actually like look forward to doing something like that, like I don't have the bandwidth to like handle all the logistical organizational planning part of it. So, um, you know, if, if somebody, if you Jill or others want to like take that on, um, I'm happy to be kind of part of the brainstorming and kind of like, you know, obviously being part of, of some of those decisions, but like actually doing it, like 
that would that would probably be the best way for make something like that to happen. You know, if 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 y'all kind of or some of y'all or, or however this works out, kind of take it and run with it, and just tell me when to be and where to be. Like, yeah, okay, maybe, maybe. Um, but if it's on me to figure all that stuff out, then yeah, you probably can't talk me into hosting that right now. <laughs> but again, we put something together, you know, and I know I've mentioned this before, but there is a, a Ragnar trail race that happens like 20 miles from my house. Um, so like maybe that would be a good option. Um, but it's just not something that I can really put together. But if y'all put it together, tell me what time I'm supposed to run. I mean, I'll, I'll show up. I'll show up. So chew on that for a little bit, uh, Jill. And if you want to talk more about it, uh, you know, you know where to find me. We can, we can talk more about it. Uh, next trifecta of questions or a uh, hat trick of questions as my man, Gary Joe Collins likes to call it, uh, comes from the man himself from Gary Joe. Uh, first one, calf sleeves. Yay. Nay. Or you do you boo. Um, so yes to you do you boo. Um, here's, here's the long and the short of it when it comes to calf sleeves or compression socks, when it comes to recovery and, you know, kind of, of helping with, with vaso return after a good hard run or a long run or whatever, absolutely. There's a benefit to them, right? Is, is it a game changer? I mean, probably not, but does it help? Sure. So yeah, there's a time for yay. Uh, when it comes to like actual performance benefits during a run that are measurable, that are verified, that, that you can, you can prove there's nothing. Okay. So I don't, I don't see it as much anymore on the, the compression gear. Uh, but I remember like five years ago, all of the compression gear was like, you know, help with performance, improved endurance, redu- reduction of fatigue during your runs. And it was like, yeah, none of that stuff is true. Right. None of that stuff is at least verifiably true. But instead of being a hard no on it, I'm more of a you do you because like the placebo effect is legit. All right. And there's no real like downside to wearing the calf sleeves or the compression sleeves or compression socks or whatever. Um, so like, if you feel like it helps you, I mean, yeah, like I said, the placebo effect is real. If you feel like it helps you, it probably helps you. All right. Is it verifiable? Is it measurable? Like probably not, but if it helps you, you feel better in your mind, rock on, rock on. Um, and, and so, you know, you do you. Yes for, for recovery. Another part where yes might be a, a, a good option is if you have a little bit of like a, a calf strain, like a minor one, a little niggle, um, wearing a compression can help kind of protect it a little bit when you're getting back into running. Now, you're still going to want to be smart about how you return and keep your mileage low and keep your intensity down and things like that, but it does give you just a little bit of extra protection for like a muscle strain, muscle tweak when you're coming back to to, uh, running after one of those injuries. So that, that would be the, the time where actually there might be benefit to wearing it during a run, um, like verifiable benefit. But outside of that, I mean, there's nothing wrong with it. It's not going to hurt you. If you, if you like it, if it feels good to you go for it. But, uh, but yeah, you're not, you're not missing out on any, uh, performance enhancements by not wearing your, your, your compression sleeves or your, your compression socks on race day. That's that much is certain. Uh, second question from Gary Joe, uh, a good multivitamin supplement for old farts like me who run and think they're in their twenties. Um, this was, this is one of those questions, Gary Joe, where if I tried to answer it, um, I'd be talking out of my tuchus. And as much as I probably do that most of the time anyway, um, I'm going to try not, I, I don't, I try not to go out of my way to just make stuff up and spout it out. Um, when it comes to multivitamins, like, I don't know what to believe, what not to believe. Like I take one. Um, is it, is it a good one? Is it the best one? Is it super beneficial? Is it mostly placebo? Is it mostly a sugar pill? Like, I don't know. Um, but last time that I, that I had, you know, was in the market for, for, uh, 
um, getting some new multivitamins when I was out of my one a days or whatever it was I was taking before. Um, I just kind of did like a random search and somehow I stumbled upon the website that is, and I have a link for this in the show notes, but it's, it's multivitaminguide.org. So it's multivitaminguide, all, you know, one word together, uh, .org. And what that, what that website does. And, and, you know, they claim to be super impartial and super non-biased and stuff. And like, I didn't go through all of the website information. So maybe they are, maybe they're not, I don't know. Um, but, but what you can do there is you can plug in and I'm looking at the page right now. You can plug in, you know, your, your gender, your age, your height, your weight, and then you can choose your activity level from, um, let's see, what does it say from sedentary to lightly active, moderately active, very active, or extremely active. It doesn't really tell you what each of those things mean, but I guess you can just kind of decide what you think, you know, how you would rate on that scale. And then based on that information, um, you, you know, it, you click the thing and I think you enter your email address or whatever. Like I've never gotten any emails from them. So either they all end up in the spam folder or they don't really send that many emails. I don't know. Uh, but you click that information and then it tells you like, here are the top three choices that we, that we make for you and, and why. Um, so like, again, I don't know if what I read was complete and utter BS, if it was actually legit, if there's good science, if there's not, but I felt like that kind of helped me make a decision instead of just going with whatever was cheapest, which is when it comes to, to supplements, like usually that's probably not the best choice. Right. Um, so I did that and I ended up with, with, I don't even know what brand I have now. Um, I don't know if it'd be the right one for you or not, but, but that would be, you know, my one, I guess, sort of recommendation would be to check out that website again, multivitaminguide.org. Uh, and again, we'll have the link in the show notes, um, but check that out and see if, you know, see what that tells you and at least use that to kind of maybe start a little bit of research. But yeah, me trying to tell you, Hey, this is the best multivitamin for a guy like you, like just, you'd be better off throwing darts at a board and hoping that, uh, you, that you happen to hit the right one than me trying to tell you, because that's, that's out of my pay grade for sure. Uh, for sure. Um, and then the third question from Gary Joe, how many days a week should I try to incorporate cross training into running? I've been running on average five or six days a week. And my monthly average is moving towards 10 K, uh, per run. So, you know, Gary Joe, this is, this is another one of those questions where it really like, it's, it's almost impossible for me to, to make a, a, a one size fits all type of, of answer. Cause for, you know, for some folks running five or six days per week and averaging, you know, six plus miles per run, like that's fine. That's fine for some. That's way too much. Um, for some, maybe you're kind of in that gray zone where like, it's probably okay, but maybe it's a little bit too much sometimes. And, and maybe mixing a little bit of cross-training would, would be better. I don't know. Um, so it's, it's again, it's, it's just moral of that story is it's hard for me to, to say for sure one way, yes or no, you're good, or you need to do one day or two days or whatever. Um, I will say this, and, and I mean, it's you know, nothing I haven't said before about cross-training. Like it's good for you. It's a good option. A little bit less wear and tear, working your body a little bit differently, working some different body parts, some different muscles, uh, different stresses and strains, still working the cardiovascular system. So there's a lot of good benefits for cross-training. Um, and again, when I say cross-training, I know that there's sometimes confusion here. When I say cross-training, I'm talking about specifically like cardiovascular activity that's not running. So biking, swimming, stairs, rowing, anything like that, um, aerobics, dancing, like whatever, anything that's a cardio activity that's not specifically running. Uh, some people will, will classify, uh, strength training in there as well, which it's, it's splitting hairs, but you know, you're not gonna get a real argument from me. It's just not something that I would, I'd classify strength training as differently. Um, and then you could also get some of those, you know, kind of some of those blending of classes. It's like high intensity interval training or, um, you know, some, some of the cardio boot campy type of stuff where it's kind of really kind of blurring the lines between the two. Um, and, 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 you know, you can kind of be the judge on what you want to call there. But for me, when I'm talking about cross training, so in answering your question, Gary, Joe, uh, I'm talking about like, other types of, of cardio activity, walking, hiking, biking, swimming, whatever. Um, I mean, I think you would benefit from adding 
you know, a day of cross training in there. So maybe that means you take out a, a day of running. Uh, cause I do think the rest day is important, which we'll get to that uh, with another question down the line in a little bit. Um, so, you know, if you're, if you're at six days of running, I think that five days of running and one day of cross training would be good. You know, is it better? I mean, I don't know. Like it's, it's subjective. It's, there's a lot of variables at play. Um, it's not going to be worse. You know, it's going to be worse. The only way it's going to be worse is that you're not going to have as many miles of running per week. If, if, if running mileage matters to you, but you know, the, the potential upside is that you're, you're more refreshed for your runs because you're having one less day of pounding. So your, your body gets a little bit of a break on those days. Um, you know, maybe more, more likely to be able to withstand the, the forces and the pounding, the stresses and the strains to avoid injury, which is obviously a plus. Um, and, and, you know, maybe you find an activity that you enjoy, whether it's going for a walk, whether it's hiking, whether it's getting on the, the bike or in the pool or whatever. You know, if you find something that you enjoy and you have another option of, of exercise that you enjoy, like, I think that's a win. Now, if, if you're, you know, kind of at that point where you're just like, gosh, like the idea of going to the gym or going to the garage and getting on the bike or getting on the elliptical or whatever, it's just like, like makes you want to bang your head against the wall. Like that's, it's not a, to me, that's not an argument to not do cross training. It's an argument to find a different form of cross training that you enjoy. You know, maybe you join the, the, the rec league at church and you're playing, you know, basketball once a week. There you go. I mean, it's still running. Yes. But is it the same? No. Um, you know, maybe you, you start playing, um, you know, ice hockey, you join the, join the beer league at the, at the, at the hockey rink and play, play, you know, uh, hockey once a week. There's a great cross train activity. Um, you know, so it's just a matter of finding something that, that works for you. Maybe it's a, a sport, some type of rec league, church league, church league, men's league, women's league, whatever, you know, not, not a women's league for you, Gary Joe, but you know, for the ladies out there, uh, but we like whatever, whatever excites you and still works you in a different way. Um, because when it comes to crushing, like there's so many options out there. Like we, we think, and I, and I do this too, right? I default to like biking, swimming, maybe the elliptical kind of things that you would like think about at the gym. Um, but if you don't have a gym membership or you don't like going to the gym, like there are a whole lot of other options out there. Um, beyond just, I mean, dial up YouTube, you might find something there. Uh, you could do yoga, you could do Pilates, you could do some of those types of things that are still kind of maybe could be a blend of maybe not super cardio, but they're, they're still beneficial. There's still a little bit of cardio component. There's also a, a flexibility component, strengthening component. So you're kind of, you know, double dipping in a bunch of different places. That's not a bad thing. So, you know, I think that, that in general, and I think I've made this statement or at least in some form or fashion, multiple times, like a little bit of variety in your training diet is a good thing. Just like a little bit of variety in your food diet is a good thing. Just like a little bit of a variety in your enter- entertainment diet in your spiritual diet in your personal development diet, you know, like a little bit of variety in a lot of places, like it's not a bad thing. And so, you know, if you're running five, six times a week and you're thinking about, I don't know, should I add cross train or not? Like I would lean toward, yeah, just find something you enjoy doing it and then lean into it and see if that doesn't help you, you know, in, in course of six weeks, eight weeks, 12 weeks. Like if you don't notice a little bit of a difference in improvement and how you're feeling, um, and, and hopefully having fun at the same time. So thanks for the questions, Gary, Joe, hope all that made sense for you. And, uh, hope, uh, hope things are well in, uh, in the bluegrass state. Uh, next question from Thessaly. Oh boy, here it is. You knew, you knew it was coming at some point. Uh, got to ask about the book and the guitar progress. Sorry, I'm obsessed with following up and asking for quote unquote return and report updates. So, uh, no need to apologize, Thessaly. I, 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 I do appreciate these questions because, uh, even though I don't have a good report, at least on the book this, this time around, um, knowing that you or someone is probably going to ask the question, like, does at least keep it on the top of my mind as far as something like, gosh, I really need to figure out a time to start working on the book again. Um, so I have, haven't figured it out yet, but at least it, it hasn't been for lack of thinking about it. 
uh, the last month knowing that this question was going to come. So please keep asking them. Uh, yes, I don't have any good updates about the book yet. Um, it's something I know I need to do. It's something I want to do. Um, it's something I just haven't made it a priority enough to start doing it yet. And I think that's what needs, like, I just need to start scheduling a time, you know, whether it is, you know, Tuesday and Thursday at nine o'clock in the morning or, or whatever. Um, I just need to put something on the schedule, block it out. So nobody can schedule a, a you know, a, a podcast recording at that time. Um, you know, no, no random things show up on my, my schedule as far as taking Addison to the dentist or something like that. Just, I need to schedule it and make it happen. And then anything outside of that is just icing on the cake, but at least I'm getting, you know, two 45 minute blocks a week or whatever it is, uh, to make some progress on it. And, you know, hopefully once I get going with it, then it becomes easier to sit down, easier to do some more writing, uh, and everything just kind of sort of snowball in the right direction. So like, I know what I should be doing. I know what I need to do. I just need to do it. And, and even though I don't have a good answer yet, knowing that you're knowing that you Thessaly or somebody is asking these questions each month, like it does help. So thank you for, for the question. Guitar progress. I do have a little bit more to report there, which again, I mean, how terrible is that? That like, you know, something that I just screw around with for, for fun with the guitar, um, that has no bearing on my professional life or anything like that. Um, I guess maybe there's, you know, we should have some fun in our lives once in a while, but like, you know, I, I screw around with the guitar once in a while. Um, but not screw on with writing the book, but I, I have started working on a, a new song. Uh, not that I have all the other songs mastered or anything even close to that, but, um, started working on one sweet world, which if you, if you know, Dave Matthews, you know, that song a little bit, um, and it's a little tricky and, and certainly still very, very, very rough. I mean, I'm very, very, very rough on like all of my versions of all of Dave's songs. Um, but, uh, starting to, to pick on this one a little bit and, um, you know, like, there's a little bit of progress there. You know, I've been working a little bit more on, uh, continue to work on, on, uh, lie in our graves and continue to kind of come around on that one. Uh, you know, kind of working on some of the, the, the trickier parts and come into some of the transitions and things like that, which is, you know, it's, that's, that's one of the things that, that trips me up still with the guitars. Like I might be able to get, you know, this, this little chord pattern or this little picking pattern or whatever right here. But then as soon as like you switch from there to, to a different position on the neck and then you have to switch back, like, Ooh, that's, that sometimes gets me a little bit. Like I get my fingers moving in a different direction then have to, to remember what I'm doing again. And that's, that's a struggle, but getting better on that with, with Lionheart Graves. And I was played uh gray street a few times this week, which is a song that I've kind of, again, not mastered, but like somewhat semi comfortable with my ability to play that song. Um, and I have just haven't played it for a while. So I kind of dusted it off and, and queued up uh, a couple of concerts with that song in it, uh, and, and played along with the band a few times and just kind of, you know, got back in the swing with that song. It's a fun song to play. So, um, yeah, I mean, you know, I, again, never going to be confused with anybody who actually knows how to play the guitar, but, um, played it, you know, been playing it a little bit more this month and, and, uh, uh, enjoyed kind of, you know, re, uh, re, reaffirming, reaffirming. No, just re reforming. There we go. Reforming the, the calluses on the old fingers. Uh, thanks to, to pressing and sliding and doing that stuff on the, on the guitar. So, uh, Thessaly, thanks for uh, continuing to hold my feet to the fire and, uh, no promises, but hopefully, Next month, I'll have a better a better report uh, when you check in again on progress for the book and uh, the guitar, whatever. Like I, I appreciate that, but the the book one is the one I need to uh, need to improve upon ASAP. But thank you, ma'am. Uh, next question from Barb with uh, and this one kind of ties in with what we just answered for Gary Joe as well. With the second wave of COVID closures, my gym has shut down again. In the spring, it wasn't so bad because the weather was warm and we were able to spend more time outside. This time, it's different, and we'll be left to our own home gym devices for cross training. What suggestions do you have to keep progressing on non-running days? I'm still 
Uh, I'll still be doing strength training a few days a week, but I'm feeling like I should have another activity at the gym. I'd be using the elliptical or cycling. So, you know, I mean, Barb, like I said, I mean, this one really ties into what I kind of already answered with Gary Joe, but, um, first of all, like, I'm glad that, you know, that, that you're trying to come up with solutions. I mean, that's, that's the first key right there, right? Like I would normally do the, the elliptical or, or the bike at the gym. I don't have those options. What can I do now? Uh, Cause I want to do something. So that, that's a good, that's a good starting place to be right. So I don't have to convince you of the benefits. Um, but you know, don't be limited by just what kind of equipment they have at the gym, right? Like, like there's so many options out there. There's the, the key is finding what you enjoy. Right. So, you know, and I gave you some examples with Gary Joe, I'll give you some other ones here, uh, depending on where you live, but you live in somewhere cold. So maybe there's snow coming. Um, not that anybody enjoys shoveling snow, but shoveling snow can be a great cross training type of activity, right? Uh, going cross country skiing, going snowshoeing, um, having a snowball fight with the kids. I don't know if you have any kids or not, but you know, out, out building the fort in the snow, doing those types of things where it's, it doesn't maybe feel like quote unquote exercise, but you know, you're out there lifting and shoveling and packing and throwing and, and wrestling and, and climbing hills. You go sledding, go up and down the hill a few times. That's some cross training, right? Like that gets you, that gets you working. So, you know, finding those types of things, maybe ice skating, like maybe, maybe the, uh, the skating rink isn't open right now, but maybe there's, you know, the, once the pond freezes, take the shovel out there, clear a little spot, get some skating in. Um, but you know, I mean, there's those types of things depending on, you know, maybe it's cold, but not snowing, you know, it's doing yard work. It's raking leaves. It's cutting down, you know, trimming, pruning trees and bushes and things like that. Um, again, I mean, not like not proper exercise, but it's not nothing, you know, like it's still, it still gets the heart rate up. It still gets you moving. It still gets you reaching and bending and flexing and, and lifting and carrying and, and functional work, which not for nothing is maybe more beneficial than standard exercise work you know, as far as actual life implications. So, you know, just, just getting creative, having fun, going for walks, you know, I mean, maybe you got to bundle up a little bit, but maybe, you know, if, if you have one of those neighborhoods in your town where um, they just do the Christmas lights to like the, the nth degree, instead of driving through and looking at them, go for a walk and look at it. Or you, you drive to a point where you're, you know, whatever, a, a quarter of a mile or a half a mile away from where that little neighborhood is, park the car at, at you know, whatever at the church or at the, the, the supermarket or the grocery store or whatever, and then walk that, that half a mile, walk through the, the neighborhood streets and up and down and look at the lights and ooh and ah and, and enjoy it. Uh, maybe get some, some hot chocolate or, uh, you know, a little hot cider or a little hot toddy or whatever, uh, whatever drink of choice that you might have with you, walk around, sipping on that, walking, looking at the lights, walk back to the car, head home. Like there's a little bit of, of a cross training type of thing. So, you know, maybe it's dialing up YouTube, getting some, some yoga going, getting some Pilates going, something like that, that you wouldn't maybe normally do, but you know, like you said, you're at home, you've got the internet, you've got the Wi-Fi, Um, and maybe it's not quote unquote, again, not quote unquote cross training, but it's still beneficial. So, you know, the, the big thing, the name of the game is to, to be creative. And, and again, don't just stop it at finding the things that, um, that, that are tolerable. If it's something's tolerable at best, try something else, you know, get creative, try another thing and see if you can't find something that's actually enjoyable, you know? Um, and so, so good luck, but, uh, hopefully the, the restrictions and the closures, uh, won't last too long, but, uh, you know, I mean, it's something that a lot of people are dealing with right now. Right. So, uh, we just got to make the best of the situation and, uh, hope for, hope for uh, a quick resolution, uh, you know, continued development with the, uh, um, 
vaccine situation and then you know being able to kind of get back to to some of our normal routines that have been impacted by by COVID-19 but uh, all the best to you Barb and, and uh, good luck with with staying on track with your cross training and some of the other things that you that you do uh, another question from Barb any suggestions on how to give yourself permission to take a rest day I have bought into the 10,000 step minimum and feel like a slug if I don't make it even Garmin gets after me if I'm not moving about I can't even wrap my head around a Netflix binge unless I'm on a treadmill so how do you just rest when you know you should, but just can't. So uh, I think that, that from this question, from, from how I'm reading it, at least Barb, you know, I, I think that you nailed it. You hit the nail on the head with that last little bit. Like, you know, you should, but you can't convince yourself that it's okay for one reason or another. So it, to me, that means that most of it's in, in for lack of a better way of saying it, and I'm not trying to diagnose because Lord knows that's way outside. If, if recommending multivitamins is outside my pay grade, diagnosing anything inside anybody's head is way, way outside my pay grade. But it sounds like, like you're just kind of getting in your own way mentally. Right. Um, and if, and if you could, could, could wrap your head around the benefits of a rest day, maybe that's, maybe that's what it is. I don't know. Um, but that's where I'm going to start my answer and hopefully this helps. And if it doesn't help you, hopefully it helps somebody else. Um, but, but remember that when it comes to getting stronger, getting faster, building your endurance, um, all of the, the, the physical and physiological changes that we try to make by exercising, None of that happens while we're exercising, right? During the exercise portion, whether it's running, lifting weights, doing cross training, swimming, cycling, whatever it is, all that we're doing when we're working out is breaking down our bodies, right? At at the cellular level, that's what happens. We're causing cellular damage. We're tearing tissues. We're tearing fibers, um, and, and we're damaging our bodies, okay? After that, when we rest, when we recover, when we get good sleep, our bodies repair that damage that we've done. And over the course of days and weeks and months and years, that's what allows us to get stronger, to build our endurance, to run faster. It's our body adapting to the demands that we place upon it. So if you're not getting enough rest, which may or may not mean that you need to have a rest day where you only get 3000 steps or 4,000 steps or whatever, if you're not getting enough rest, you're actually limiting the impact of the positive outcomes of the workouts that you're doing, if that makes sense. You know, if, if, if you're going to get X from the next strength training workout that you do in terms of, of getting stronger and, and building muscle and whatever, if X is what your expectation is, but you don't get enough rest after that workout, you're going to get whatever X, X minus 10 or X divided by two or, you know, whatever it is. Like, I'm not saying that you're only going to get half the benefit necessarily, but you're going to get less than what you would have gotten if you make that proper recovery, proper, proper rest, a priority. So, you know, what, what does that actually look like? What does that actually mean? Like, like, I don't know that, I mean, 10,000 steps could be enough recovery if you're still getting enough sleep and things like that. Like, like, especially if they're not all intense steps, because that's, that's where sometimes things get, get lost in the, in translation is, you know, there's 10,000 steps of running. There's 10,000 steps of walking. Now walking, you're gonna have a lot more time on your feet, but it's not gonna be as, as wear and tear on your body. Um, but I still think that, that, you know, maybe a, a good start would be to like turn off the alerts on Garmin, turn off the, the step count trackers, um, and not worry about all that stuff. Like, especially, and, and maybe you do worry about it five or six days a week, but whatever, you know, Tuesday is going to be your rest day or Saturday or whatever day, like turn it off on those days so that you don't get any notifications saying, Hey, move, get up and, and walk around a little bit. You haven't taken enough steps this hour. Like today's supposed to be a rest day and you don't need your freaking technology telling you, telling you to, to make the choice that you know is not the right choice to make at the time. 
right? Like, you know, you should be resting today. You've got your technology barking at you, telling you to move, like get rid of the dankum technology for that day. Right. Um, and then it's just a matter of, of, you know, or, or maybe it's just a matter of forcing yourself to do it for a few times, you know, forcing that every, for me, it's Sunday, right? Like my, my amount of activity on Sunday is almost ridiculous. Like how little it is most, most weeks. Sometimes it's a little bit more. Sometimes we go to Disney or we do something. I'm doing work around the house or whatever. And I'm, I'm walking a bit more, but usually my Sunday amount of activity level is like a couple thousand steps. All right. But if I didn't have that, like, so, so I say that to say this, like if you can force yourself on Sunday or whatever day to take it really, really easy to read a book, watch TV, um, do some work on the computer, like whatever it is that, that's not on your feet, not a lot of steps. And you, you do that for a month and see if you don't notice that, wow, come Monday or whatever your next day happens to be like, I feel a lot better. I feel refreshed. I'm seeing more progress from my workouts than I have in a long time. And then when you start to see the, the benefits of taking that rest day, then in theory, and then everything works great in theory, but not everything works great in practice, but and not every theory works great in practice. Uh, but in theory, at least that makes that, that pill to swallow of taking a rest day a whole lot easier to swallow because you're seeing the payoff, right? You're, you're noticing that, man, I take my Sundays off and Monday and Tuesday, I feel fantastic. And even by the end of the week, like I'm not feeling as worn down because I really, you know, respect the fact that I need to take a rest day that I need to, to give my, that I, that I have given myself permission to rest. So it might feel awkward. It might feel difficult. It might feel painful the first few times, but if you start to see the results, it might make it a little bit easier to stick with it. So try it and see report back. Let me know if you have other questions or you need other suggestions, but hopefully that, that helps. And I mean, like I keep my watch off, like, like I don't even wear it usually on Sunday. You know, I, 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 I try to just have as many things that would normally tell me to move or that I would be tracking my movement or things like that on Sunday to a minimum, because then I don't get that, that feeling of like, Oh man, maybe I should be doing something like, no, Sunday is a rest day and rest day for me is every bit as important as any of the workouts that I do during the week. Like without the rest day, I can't do as well in the workouts. And so that makes it easy for me to just go, okay, rest day it is. And, uh, hopefully something like that can kind of snap in your brain or, 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 or click for you and go, oh yeah, that's right. And then all of a sudden, you know, not that you just want to be a slug, but like, it's okay to be a slug, especially if the, most of the time, most of the rest of the week, you're really getting after it. Like you kind of need it. You kind of need that, that downtime for your body to recover. So, uh, thank you for the questions, Barb. I certainly appreciate them. Uh, next block from Mona. I don't know what she's got this week. Five, six questions, something like that. Um, so here we go. Diving in. First question from Mona. I've been running on the trail behind my house, which I love, but I've noticed that the transition from the trail to the asphalt is so weird after running even just a couple miles on the different surfaces. Also, I feel like the trail is a bit harder than the sidewalk on my body. Is it in my head? Does different surfaces have different effects or are there different, or are there any tips to use during the transition from one to the other? Cause I feel like I could trip. I have tested uh, grass running also, and that is the hardest. What are your thoughts? So, um, definitely there's a difference. I mean, you know, other than the obvious, there's, there are differences between, you know, running on softer surfaces like a trail of the grass versus the harder, you know, cement, asphalt, things like that. Um, and, and without trying to get too deep into the weeds here, <laughs> see what I did there about grass and weeds and yeah, not as funny when you have to point it out. Right. But, um, you know, without getting too, too deep into it, like running on the, the harder surfaces, it's a little bit harder on your body because of the force that, that, you know, gets, gets transferred back and forth between your body 
and the ground, you know, the impact force, the pounding forces, um, it's, it's harder on the, on the harder surfaces, right? Um, so your body has to absorb more of that. However, because of, of the, the harder surface of the ground, you, you don't have to work as hard to run as fast on the harder surfaces. You can kind of feel like you're working a little bit, you know, less hard running easier uh, and still see, you know, relatively fast paces on the, on the harder surfaces. When you switch to the trail or the grass where the surface of the ground is softer because it's less compacted because it's not paved over, um, there's more of a, 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 there's less force on your body, less of a pounding force on your body due to that softer surface. But it also means you have to work harder to provide more force to push off a little bit harder to keep running at the same pace. So there is, there, there are those differences and, and depending on, on what you're feeling and what you say, when you say that it feels, you feel like the trail is ha- a bit harder on your body. Um, I would say that it's, it's, it's different, certainly different. Your, your body has to work differently. There's more stabilization. There's more force production, things like that. Um, less force absorbed, but, um, it's just, they're different. They're absolutely different. And so it's definitely not in your head. There's definitely a difference and there's benefits. There's pros and cons to both, right? Um, for me, and I don't know if this would, would make sense for you as well, Mona, but for me, I don't notice the difference between the two that often if I'm just running on one or the other. So if I'm doing a, a, a long run, that's just on the roads, like no factor, right? Like, like, you know, maybe the, the, I get a little bit sore and tired by the end, but I mean, that's cause it was a long run. Right. But like, you know, if I'm just running on, on the, the, the road or the sidewalk, whatever, good to go. If I'm just running on the trail, if I, if I drive to the trailhead and, and, and run with Kate or run by myself or run with the dog at the trail, uh, whatever trail it might be, but if it's grass, if it's, if it's, you know, single track, whatever it is, like whatever, like that's trail running for that day. Like I, like I feel like I feel on that run, but when I do both, you know, when I, when I do a run where I'm running on the roads and I get to the trail and then I run across the, the trail, uh, for a while and then I'm back on the road, like that's when I really notice it the differences, right? Because you're, you're getting a taste of one, a taste of the other. And then back, back to that taste of the first one. It's like, wow, that was different. And that was different. And that hurt, you know, not hurt, but that stressed my body differently here. And I had to work harder there. Um, and I can see my heart rate spiked here and I can see it was steady here. And, and like, you just notice the differences a lot more. So, you know, I don't know if there's any tips to, to ease that transition when you go from one to the other, other than just like, you have to be a little bit mindful right there right? Like when you're on the trails, you have to be a little bit more mindful of watching where you're stepping and watching, you know, for, for loose rocks or for tree stumps, uh, for branches or for puddles or for holes or things like that. When you're on the, the, the sidewalk, when you're on the asphalt, you can kind of just cruise because like it's, it's going to be there. Like there's no random impediments, usually random impediments on the road, like there are on the trail. So, you know, they're, they're different. Yes, of course. Um, you know, some people prefer one versus the other. Some people like them both for different reasons. Um, sounds like you kind of enjoy them, but you just, you kind of struggle with the transition a little bit. So maybe try to just either just run the trail or just run the roads or else just, you know, when you're in that little transition period, when that, that, you know, time between the, when you're still adjusting or readjusting a little bit, you just kind of be a little more focused and a little bit more willing to maybe slow down, take it easy, uh, take a little walk break, whatever. Um, and then when you kind of reacclimate to the new surface, good to go good to go. But I don't know if that answers any questions or not, but hopefully uh, it at least gives you a little bit of insight on uh, kind of the differences between roads and trails. I could probably make a whole episode about that, but you know, we're already at whatever, an hour and 15 minutes, like got to keep it moving. Got to keep it moving today. So uh, next question from Mona, do you think our feet change as runners after a while? I feel like I have to size up my running shoes as my long toe as my long toe has either grown big or someone is shrinking my shoes. Have you ever had to change your shoe size? Uh, I thought my feet were done growing now that I'm over 30, but it seems like they're still growing. So, um, 
this is one of those that I feel like there's like, like your question makes total sense, Mona, but I feel like I have a thousand other questions I need to to ask in order to give you a good answer. So I'm just going to give some answers that may or may not be good, which I guess is kind of how these quick tip episodes end up shaking out anyway, no matter what. Um, but you know, like, do your feet stop growing when you're over 30? Like, I mean, I, I would, yes, for the most part, you know, by the time you get into your thirties, um, you know, the bones have stopped growing, like, like you're good. Right. But does that mean that they can't change a little bit? Well, like, no, I mean, they, they can still change a little bit. They could, they could in theory, maybe get a little bit longer or maybe your arch flattens out just a little bit, which then makes it seem like your foot got a little bit longer. Um, and, and, and this, that's where I feel like I have a bunch of questions. So to, to your, to one of your questions, have I ever had to change my shoe size? No, in general. Um, but there have been some shoes that I've gotten that I, you know, I've, I've been wearing a size nine and a half for as long as I can remember. All right. Sometimes nine and a half feels perfect. Sometimes nine and a half feels a little bit small. All right. So that's where I kind of have some questions for you that, that I'm going to try to, to answer them anyway, and hope that, that they make sense to you. So, um, remember when you get a, a pair of shoes, there's no guarantee that it's always the right size, right? Or the, that it's true size, right? So like, like, uh, you know, like I said, sometimes, and, and I mean, even talking about shoes from the same company, right? Like maybe a different model, um, but you know, from one shoe to the next across the shoe line, sometimes they feel like they all fit the same. And sometimes, yeah, sometimes they feel a little bit bigger. Sometimes they feel a little bit tighter. Uh, sometimes the nine and a half is perfect. Sometimes not so much. All right. It's not because my foot has changed. It's just that, yeah, sometimes shoes have different sizes, right? Sometimes they, they, they run a little small. Sometimes they run a little big. Um, sometimes maybe they're a little bit wider or a little bit narrower. Okay. So if, if you're used to running with a shoe, that's more foot shaped, a little bit more wider in the, in the, in the forefoot and the toe area, um, that allows your foot, your, the bones in your feet to spread out when you're running, which means they're not going to be like, not that they're going to shrink, but they're spreading out horizontally. So they're not st- extending as far lengthwise. But if you get a pair of shoes that are real narrow in the, in the toe box, narrow in the foot, kind of squeezes those bones together. And what does it do? It kind of pushes them into a point almost and extends that longest toe out a little bit farther to where it just might be rubbing against the front of your shoe, which makes it feel like your shoe is a little bit small when it's not the shoe isn't as long as it's supposed to be. It's just constricting the, the, the bones in your foot together and pushing everything kind of forward a little bit. Um, Speaking of shifting forward, maybe they're, they're a little bit loose in the heel and your foot just kind of slides forward a little bit while you're running, which makes you think, it may, maybe not even enough that you necessarily notice it, but enough that you're like, gosh, my, my shoe seems like it's a little bit small, rub it on my foot, uh, rub it on my toes. Well, it's because it's not locked into place in the heel, you know, so that could be a potential uh, situation going on. So I guess, I guess another question I would have is, do you notice this in, in all of your shoes across the board? Meaning, do you notice it in your dress shoes, in your casual shoes, in your, um, in your non-running shoes? tennis shoes or sneakers or whatever in your running shoes, like are every single pair of your shoes. I don't know what shoe size you wear, but say you wear, you know, say you're a size eight is every single pair of shoes that you have a size eight that have been fitting for you. that have been fine five years ago. Are they all feeling small or is it just your running shoes? Is it just a certain new type of running shoe? Maybe you maybe you found a, a great shoe that you've enjoyed. Um, and, and you got, you know, three or four pairs of it and they all, but, but they all three or four pairs, they're all made on the same form. So they all run a little bit small and you're like, gosh, like, are my shoes growing or are my feet growing? I mean, no, but maybe you just have a, a, a run of shoes that are a little bit small. Um, another thing to, to keep in mind is that naturally our, our feet do swell a little bit while we're running, right? So if they feel good, normally they don't feel too big or your feet, your shoes don't feel too small when you're just putting them on, 
But then after, you know, you're, you're eight miles deep and you feel like, man, maybe like, are my shoes shrinking? Are my feet growing? What's going on? Well, they might just be swelling up a little bit. And if they're, if they're just close and they swell a little bit and now they press forward into that, the front end of your shoe, like that could be going on. So, you know, is it, am, am I saying that it's impossible that your feet have grown a little bit? No. Am I saying that it's more likely that it's something related with the shoes? Probably. Am I saying that I have a good answer for you? Absolutely not. So hope that at least gets you something to, to get your gears turning a little bit, get you thinking about kind of what's going on. And is it, is it across the board? Is it just certain types of shoes? Uh, is it just after a certain mileage, things like that? Um, and maybe, you know, somewhere in there, you can kind of narrow it down as to what's going on. And, and if you need to get a bigger shoe or you know, size up a half a size um, or, or whatever, you know, kind of what, what is the right mix for you? Um, another question from Mona is running continuously better than taking a walk break or when you just feel like you want to stop. I've heard both debates and I want to know your thoughts on this. Sometimes after I'm four miles in, I just want to walk, take like a 10 foot walk break. And I don't know why, cause it's not like I remember stop during an actual race, but, uh, you know, it's kind of a struggle to keep going and I just kind of want to stop and walk for a second. Um, let's see here. Uh, Take, taking the next step also applies to walking, right? I used to pause the Strava and not anymore. I don't want to look at my phone and I do. Uh, and so what should I do? Uh, do you stop during your runs, Denny? So, um, first of all, I mean, I like, I, I wish I could shout this from the mountaintops, right? Like, like there's nothing wrong with walking during a run. It doesn't make you less of a runner. It doesn't make your run not count somehow, whether it's a strategic run, walk break. I know we've got run walkers that listen to the show. Um, you know, whether it's a, it's a long run and a short walk, whether it's a short run and a long walk, whether it's a sporadic, like I'm just kind of tired because I just ran up this hill or I'm just not feeling it today or whatever. Like you do you, you know, don't worry about it somehow lessening your, your run. It being a, a walk break, obviously don't feel like walking somehow lessens your, your run, your fitness, your achievements, whatever, like, like it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Do I take walk breaks occasionally? Absolutely. Absolutely. I do. Um, am I, am I shy about it? Clearly not. Uh, do I ever pause my watch? Nope. Like that's all just part of my time on my feet, right? Like, like, do I, do I take a walk break during a, you know, during a short run with my dog? Not very often. She stops to use the bathroom once or twice. So there's a little stop for me. I usually stop to take a picture once or twice. So, um, you know, for, for what I see on my run during the day. So during that morning's run. So there's, there's a stop for me. Um, do I sometimes stop and walk when I'm like, you know, get done with a podcast I'm listening to, I'm changing the next one sometimes. Um, do I worry about it? No. During a long run, do I stop and walk sometimes? Absolutely. Um, is it every mile or every five miles or no, it's various places. Sometimes you need to, sometimes you don't, um, whatever, you know, again, I mean, there's nothing, there's nothing that says you, you have to just run in order to be a runner. Um, run and walk is cool. Occasional walk is cool. Walking to take a drink of water or to fuel. That's cool. Um, you can do it on race day. You can do it when you're training by yourself. You can do it on the treadmill. You can do it. You can do it in a plane. You can do it on a train. You can do it in a box. You can do it with a Fox. Like you can walk when you run and you're still a runner. All right. So I no no shame in your game on that one, Mona. Do what you got to do. If your brain's telling you to just stop and walk for 10 feet, stop and walk for 10 feet. It's okay. It's okay. Then when you're ready to run again on the 11th foot, run again. Good to go. Good to go. So yeah, do not worry for one second. Don't pause your watch or just stop, walk, run again when you're ready. Easy peasy. Don't, don't make it more difficult than it has to be. Um, Next question. There's a whole bit of context here, but I'm going to skip through that and get to the question part. Um, question. 
do the guests have to be have to run races to be on your show? What are the guidelines to be on the show, or is it just open concept for anyone who wants to share their journey? Um, so, so honestly, Mona, I, I think that the rule that I somewhere have in place, or at least had had thought of, you know, six and a half years ago when the show started, was that uh, if you say you're a runner, then you're welcome to be on the show. So, I mean, yeah, like. Obviously, if you listen to the show enough, like a lot of people have run some some number of races, um, you know, and 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 that's something that we tend to talk about because it's it's for lack of a better way of saying it, it's low hanging fruit. It's a good way to get the conversation started talking about races. I mean, obviously, the first question that I answer every episode or ask every episode is, you know, what favorite distance to race and why. Um, but if you don't race, but you just run, and even if you walk a little bit in your in your running as well, um, that's cool. That's cool. I don't care. You know, if you've been running for months, you've been running for decades, you know, you've been running long distances or you, you run, you know, around the block a couple times and that's it. Uh, you run fast, you run slow, you run and walk, you run, you only run. Uh, if you classify yourself as a runner, that's good enough. That's good enough. Because at that point you've got, you've got a story, you've got a journey, you've got stories to share. Uh, and I enjoy having those conversations and, and helping people, you know, share those stories and hearing those stories and asking questions along the way. And, and, um, and that's what it's all about. So, you know, yeah, there's, there's no real guideline other than you just have to be a runner. And I think that certainly all of us that are in the group qualify. And, uh, you know, there's been plenty of times that I've reached out to people and they say, Oh man, I, I'm not, I'm not anything special as a runner. I say, are you a runner? Yep. Okay. That's, that's special. That's what, that's what we need. So, uh, yeah, that's, that's, uh, that's the rules. Pretty much one rule. If you're a runner, you're welcome. So, uh, glad you're enjoying and which is kind of the, the whole, uh, lead up to that question is that you're just enjoying the, uh, the, the folks from the, the group and, and, uh, you know, the, the listeners of the show that have been on the, the show recently, I'm glad you're enjoying it. I'm absolutely loving it. Loving a chance to talk to all you guys. Uh, so thank you for everybody who's uh, raised their hand and, uh, looking forward to talking to more of you, uh, coming up. So if, you know, I didn't mention this at the beginning, but, uh, still looking for more people. So, uh, you know, if you, if you're a listener and you're listening right now, it means you're a listener and you want to, uh, get grilled, be on the, the hot seat, see how the sausage is made. Uh, let me know. Uh, and, and we'll get you on the list and we'll get you, you know, looking for, for more and more folks into 2021 to, uh, to interview and talk to and, uh, share some of your stories and, uh, let other people hear some of your stuff as well. So, uh, glad you're enjoying it, Mona. Another one. Will you, another one, goodness gracious, Mona, all the questions this month. I love it. I love it. Uh, will you ever move given the choice? Where would you like to move? So, um, this was an interesting question for me to try to answer because on the one hand, like I have, I have two answers to your question here that almost couldn't be more diametrically opposed to each other. So like the idea of moving it just, it's, it just sounds like such a headache that I don't even want to deal with it. You know, packing everything up, selling stuff, uh, finding a new house, um, you know, selling this one, going through all that process. Like, man, ain't nobody got time for that nonsense. Like, no, I have zero desire. Like, and it's not because I love the, like, I mean, I don't live in a bad area. I don't live in a bad neighborhood. Like, you know, there's pros and cons everywhere. Right. Um, like the place I live isn't perfect, but it's fine. It's good enough. Um, do I, do, do I like, am I chomping at the bit to like be here forever? Like, no, but do I want to move? Like, no, not really. You know, we will have a house paid off in another handful of years. So like then not having a, a, a house payment, like that sounds awesome. Um, so like, like, I don't really want to move. 
Um, but would I move? Like, yeah, I mean, I would, I would love to live on the side of a mountain. I, I talked to Rebecca about this probably when we were dating, right? Like, like my, my fantasy is to like live on the side of a mountain where like nobody, there, there are no neighbors anywhere. Like I can't see the neighbors. There's no neighbors that can see me. Um, you know, like I can, I can walk around the house naked if I want to, and nobody's any of the wiser. Like I can, I can kind of do whatever I want. I don't have that. And some, lousy HOA telling me I can do this. I can't do that. You got to, you got to paint the house. You got to do this. You got to do that. Like that would be awesome because again, I'm a, I'm a bit of an introvert, bit of a hermit, bit of a recluse. And what better place to live than like on the side of a mountain. Yet on the other hand, the other extreme, if I had my, my ultimate choice, which, you know, I mean, I, I don't know. I, I wouldn't say that way in a, in a different universe where I wasn't married, where I didn't have a, a, a kid, where I, I didn't have anything tying me down. Um, like the idea of just kind of being a, a nomad is kind of appealing. And I don't know if I would be a, a global nomad, you know, kind of that, that living that lap, laptop lifestyle, like flying around to, to Bali and South America and Latin America and Europe and Asia, like living all the different places. Like, I don't know if I would go that crazy, although I might, I don't know. Um, but, but the idea of like, you know, kind of living in my car, I'm not living in my car, but like just kind of driving and being like, Hey, you know, like I wouldn't mind spending this summer in Idaho and getting like an Airbnb or renting a house for three months or whatever. And like, like not really like settling that settling down, but just staying in a place for a month or two and then moving on to the next place, or maybe staying in a place for a week and moving to the next town over for a week and the next town over for a week and running the mountains and running the trails. And, and then it starts to be winter and like, ah, I'm going to head South because I have no, no real desire to deal with like proper winter ever again. Um, so moving, moving South, you know, and, 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 uh, my, my aunt and uncle did that for like, gosh, for probably the better part of a decade. Like they, they had, they bought a, uh, like a mobile home. Um, and they would park in the Arizona desert for the, the, the winter months. And as spring came, they just moved up the Rocky mountains and they like hunted and fished. Uh, my uncle's a big, is a big uh, fly fisherman, trout fisherman. So they'd move up the, the Rockies as the snow melted. They would fish all the streams all the way up and they'd settle in Montana for the summer. And then when the snow would start flying again, they'd move their way back down South and, and fish all the way back down the mountains and hunt down the mountains. And then they'd get back to Arizona. They'd park in the desert for the, the winter. And, uh, they just kind of did that for like five or six years. Um, and like that doesn't sound terrible, you know? Um, I don't know that I could do it. I, I don't think I could talk her back into it. Certainly not while Addison's still in school. Um, but like retirement, like that kind of sounds awesome. So like either I don't want to move or I do want to, I, I want to move and never stop moving, I guess is, is the ultimate answer to those questions. So, um, so what that means is we're going to be in Florida for, uh, the foreseeable future. Um, but you know, you never say never, right? Like if, if Rebecca got some awesome job somewhere teaching at some, you know, fancy school somewhere or being a headmaster at some school down the road, um, or she has designs of you getting her PhD and maybe teaching at the college level, maybe she gets some, you know, some job at some university somewhere like, Hey, if that, if, that, if and when that happens, we'll move. But you know, one thing I don't understand is why people move across town. Like, Oh, we're just, we're just moving a few miles away. Like, oh, what a pain in the, it took us. That has to be. So, um, for right now we're staying here. Uh, but I don't know. I mean, if we had the, the right, if the right option fell into place, yeah, I mean, we'd move, we'd move. And I don't know where that would end up being. I'd love somewhere in the mountains maybe, but I don't want crazy winter. So I don't know. I don't know. I mean, whatever. I, I don't play the hypothetical game too much. If something, something comes into, 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 into view, yeah, we'll make it work. But until then we're good. We're good where we are. Last question from Mona. What are you doing about that date with Rebecca? Are you going, are you a good cook? Do you cook for her? Uh, or last question, what is the most romantic thing you have done for her? Uh, opening a locked car or buying her running shoes are restricted and won't apply as good answers. So, um, 
little bit of nuance there with some of the emails I've sent recently. If you, if you saw that one, Rebecca locking herself out of the car for the second time in, I don't know what it's been, six weeks or something like that. So I had to go bail her out and be that knight in shining armor. But apparently, that's, apparently that doesn't count as being a, a romantic. Um, you know, I, you know, like, I don't know what we're doing about a date. You know, obviously with, with COVID picking back up, that kind of limits things a little bit, even though, even though we live in Florida where we don't take COVID seriously down here, uh, like we kind of take COVID a little bit seriously. Um, but, uh, you know, I mean, we haven't, like, I think I mentioned a while ago, somebody asked about a date. We haven't had, had a date in a while. Um, but my parents are going to be back in town in a couple weeks, uh, actually next week. Uh, yeah, next week. Um, they, they're supposed to be back in town. And so that means we got a, a free babysitter and a free dog sitter that, you know, they have a place in town here, so we can drop, drop the kids off at their house, um, and either have a, a stay home date and, you know, go out to dinner or whatever, um, go to Disney. Um, you know, we're going to still tentatively, unless COVID really goes crazy, which is certainly a possibility, uh, planning to run, you know, the, the 50 K up in towards Jacksonville in a, in a couple weeks. Um, so that's going to kind of be a date weekend. We're going to drop the kids off at, uh, at my parents' house and, you know, leave on Friday, come back on Sunday, run a race Saturday morning. Uh, so we'll have a couple of days to just kind of, I don't know what we'll do. Uh, but you know, something out of the, or, out of the ordinary for sure. Uh, so that'll be nice. Um, I mean, I cook for, I cook, I cook like at least five days a week around here, sometimes six, you know, the weekend is a little bit, you know, she cooks on Sunday. I cook Monday through Friday. Saturday's kind of a, you know, depends mixed bag. Um, so I don't know. I mean, I don't like make fancy food. So like, I'm not like a chef, like I cook, like we eat, you know? Um, so I don't know if that counts as being a, a date for, and as far as the most romantic thing, like, I, I don't know. You'd have to ask her like for me, romance is like, I don't know. I'm not, I'm not exactly uh, the biggest romantic in case you haven't figured that out around these parts. So, um, I don't know. I mean, I, I hope I've done something romantic for her at some point. Um, and if I've done one thing, that means I've at least done a most romantic thing at some point. Um, but yeah, I don't know what it would be. You know, I, I don't know. You, you can, she'll, you can ask her. <laughs> uh, anyway, thanks for the questions, Mona. I uh, hope something in that block of answers was uh, useful for you. Uh, one, two, three, four questions to go. We're making it to the end. And we're going to be done before before two hours, so not too bad. Not too bad this go-around. Another one from Karen. Hey, Danny, you mentioned a while back you were thinking of running a 50K in early December. Are you still running it? Yes. Uh, how have you trained for it? Did you just increase your long runs weekly and do a step back every uh, step back week every third week? And what did you do during the week? Just curious because I'm planning on running one in mid-February. So, um, you know, yes, like I said, yes, I'm still planning on running the 50K in, in a couple weekends. Um, and honestly, like I haven't done too much different. You know, like, like it, it's... <laughs> Training for a 50K really isn't that much different than training for a marathon. So kind of whatever you would do for a marathon, you can pretty much do for a 50K. And then you just maybe play with running that that extra long run or, the, you know, those the couple of long runs a little bit longer than usual. So, I mean, that's mostly what I've done, you know, kind of climb the ladder. Um, but, but honestly, like, I mean, if you looked at what I was doing in September and like the first half of October, which I, I don't think I even like really had the race on my radar until about, you know, I guess it probably middle of September, but like, I wasn't like planning on doing it until like kind of mid to late October. Um, my training hasn't changed like at all. Like a couple of my long runs are a little bit longer, right? Instead of running like 14, 15 miles, 16 miles for my, my standard weekly long run. Like, you know, it's gone 16, 18, 20 back to 16, 18, 20. Um, so I've, you know, I've climbed the ladder a couple of times, but like, I haven't gone markedly longer than, I mean, you know, I'm looking at my calendar right here. Like 20.5 is the longest I've done. Um, and I've done that a month before the race. Like I'm not really planning on going any, maybe I'll get to 21 this weekend. Like, I don't know, you know, maybe 22, but nothing, nothing crazy. Um, 
but, but in part that's because my, my base mileage is strong, right? Like, like I run six miles, uh, Monday through Friday. Uh, sometimes on Tuesday and or Wednesday, I'll do it. I'll do an extra, you know, two to four miles on one or one or both of those days. So I've been, you know, kind of getting 50, 50, right around 50 miles a week for the last like six weeks. Um, and like, I feel good. I feel strong. I'll taper a little bit and, uh, be ready to go. But you know, nothing, nothing crazy. And, and again, if you looked at my training in September and August, it was basically the same. It was, you know, five days a week of five and a half to six miles on, on Monday through Friday. Um, maybe an extra little bit longer on Wednesday or Tuesday or both. Um, and then, you know, a solid, you know, 12 to 16 miles on, on the weekend. Right. So my, my long runs have gotten a little bit longer consistently, but other than that, I mean, by, by a little bit, like a literally like a couple few miles, like nothing crazy. Um, and everything else has basically stayed the same because like, I don't know, my, my base is at a point where I don't have to like do this big build up to a 50 K. Right. And I don't say that to brag. It's just like, it's just kind of how it is. And it's like, I'm not, not like trying to like hammer this race. Like I'm gonna go out, run it, have fun. I'm going to walk some, you know, I'm going to hike some, I'm going to try to just enjoy a race in the time of COVID, right. With wearing my mask and being distant and things like that, which, you know, pretty easy to be distant and, and, and socially isolated on a trail race on a trail 50 K most of the time. So it shouldn't be too much of a difficulty there. Um, and just have fun and get out and, and see some different trails, some different part of the state than where I've normally run. Um, and that's why I'm doing it. And so, you know, whatever, if I walk a little bit more, if it takes me whatever, six hours or six and a half hours or seven hours, like meh, whatever, I'm gonna have fun and, uh, you know, be, be, uh, no worse for the wear coming out of it and take a day or two off afterwards and then get, get right back into it because my craw team needs me. Right. At least that's what I'm gonna tell myself. I need, my team needs me to keep us running around the world. Um, so I can't take too much time off, but you know, listen to my body recover, make sure I'm feeling good and then, you know, get back into it. So, uh, basically I guess I haven't changed my training at all or very little, um, because like just doing what I do and throwing in a race, no big deal. So I don't know if that helps Karen, but, but honestly, like, you know, marathon, just think of it like marathon training with a couple longer long runs and you're pretty much good to go. Pretty much good to go. Uh, 50 K training is not as complicated as sometimes we make it out to be 50, 50 milers. Now you're starting to, to step it up a little bit, but 50 K not that much different most of the time. Next question from Heather. Uh, any thoughts about goal setting as we finish out this crazy year and look into 2021, uh, any unique considerations? So, um, obviously, you know, this year has been, uh, has been a year, right? 2020 has been a year. Um, and, and I know a lot of folks and, and probably myself included kind of looking forward to a clean slate in 2021, right? Like starting the year off, uh, with a, with a fresh, you know, fresh canvas and let's see what we can do with it. Um, and, and as such, I'm sure that there's a lot of folks that are looking into goals and especially with, you know, so many races being canceled this year and so many, you know, BQ attempts or PR attempts or whatever the case might be, you know, crossing off States off the, the, the you know, running the 50 States challenge type of thing. Um, so many folks have race goals that they want to get to next year. And so when it comes to goals, and I'm a big goal setter, big fan of goals. Uh, we'll talk about goals more in December as well, especially in the Facebook group. Um, but the thing that I would encourage all of us to think about when it comes to setting goals for 2021, at least as far as our running goals is to, to not set your running goals based on race performances. Okay. Um, because too often that's, that's the case, right? My goal is to set a PR. My goal is to, uh, Boston qualify. My goal is to run, you know, six marathons this year or, or 10 halves or whatever, whatever it is. Right. Um, and it's not that like those are bad goals, but those are the kind of goals that are kind of, you know, that are very much result heavy and, not so much process heavy. And the reason that I try to tend the personally, I try to tend towards process heavy goals or process focused goals. Uh, and why I'd encourage maybe you to think about that for 2021, Heather and anybody else, um, is that process goals, you really have pretty good control over results goals. 
Like, not so much. You know, if, if your goal, you know, just, just making up something, right? If, if you have a result goal of I want to I wanna finish in the top, you know, I want to finish on the podium in my age group in, you know, in, in a race I run in 2021. That's my goal. I want to finish on the podium. I want to finish, I want to place in my age group. All right. Well, what happens if you, if you, you know, look at, at race results and race histories and go, oh, wow, this, you know, nobody ever shows up at this race is usually only like 12 people that run the race and only two that are ever in my age group. So pretty much guaranteed to finish on the podium, right? What happens if you show up and there's, you know, there are 15 other people that had the exact same thought as you and they all have, they're all in the same age group as you. And now you run a, you run a PR, you run the best race you've ever run at the whatever distance, but it's, it's quote unquote only good for 12 out of 15 in your age group your goal was to finish in the uh, you know finish on the podium in your age group that day you failed right you didn't hit your goal but how can you call a pr in a, in a running a good strong race how can you call that a failure right i mean I, I, it, the only way you can is if your your goal is completely results driven so all that to say if, if you know if, if you're thinking about goals that are revolving around races and race results and, and finish times um i would encourage you to, to set goals that are more process driven things you can control. Like I want to, you know, average four runs per week for, for the year and then track it right. Or five runs a week, or I want to average 20 miles per week or whatever, whatever, but something that you can control a little bit more. You can control getting out the door, uh, on the days that you need to run and, and getting some miles in. Maybe it's only one mile, but Hey, you get out there and you got something done that day. You, you, you tick the box on, uh, did I, did I, move, you know, did I, did I do what I needed to do to get my, my number of days run per month this week? Yep. You know, maybe you, you said a number of, I want to get, you know, X number of strength training sessions or X number of minutes doing yoga or X number of, of times meditated or whatever, but something that, that you could control. That's, that's part of a, that, 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 that are kind of feel like cogs in the wheel. But the good thing about these process oriented goals typically is that if you, if you do those, which those tend to be much more under your control. Like I said, like you can control, did you do yoga today or not? You can control, did you do your strength training today or not? Right. If you do, if, if you focus on the, the process, more process heavy goals, a lot of times, not all the time, but a lot of times the results kind of take care of themselves, right? Like, like we can't guarantee anything on race day. We can't guarantee anything when you, when you, you know, as far as if we, if I do X, why is always going to happen? But if you do X enough times, then you put yourself in a position where, where Y isn't guaranteed, but boy, it's probably going to happen. You know, you're, you're probably going to, going to be able to run really well on race day. And then, you know, if, if, if the normal people show up instead of those, those 12 ringers that decided to show up, if the normal, the normal crew of two people plus you and your age group show up, well, guess what? You're going to finish on the podium in your age group, you know? So, so my encouragement my unique considerations would be to focus on process goals. And if you have goals of running races this year or next year, 2021, awesome. Again, process goals are going to be probably better because it's going to help you stay healthy. It's going to help you be fit. It's going to help you to be ready to go when it comes to these, all these races that will hopefully be happening again and you'll be able to run. And then again, the results hopefully kind of take care of themselves, or at least a big part of the puzzle is solved because you're training well, you're taking care of the little things, you're getting enough sleep, you're doing all those things that, that are more process oriented. So, um, you know, my goals for next year, I haven't thought too long and hard about them yet, but you know, they're probably going to be things like, um, continue with, with some type of a mileage goal, which again, I can break that down and go, all right, well, I need to get, you know, 40 miles a week or 45 miles a week or whatever it is. 
to, to, to cross this, you know, to, to tick this box. Uh, it's going to be a strength training goal. It's going to be a cross training goal. It's going to be a yoga goal as far as accumulated time. And then it's just a matter of me continuing to, to do what I do, to continue to, to chip away, to get, get on the mat yoga mat once a week, to get my strength training done a couple times a week. And if I do all that, then those things take care of themselves by the end of the year. And also lo and behold, you know, I think that's a big reason why, like I said earlier, I've been healthy. I've been fit. I've been strong. I'm running better than I ever have before. Um, because instead of worrying about the outcomes, instead of worrying about the results, just been worried about the process and the results are kind of taking care of themselves. So, uh, I'm sure I'll, I'll update my, my specific goals as we get a little closer to the new year. Uh, but those are the thoughts that are in my head and uh, things that I would at least encourage you to think about as it comes time to start setting your goals for next year. So hope that helps Heather and, and, uh, you know, stay tuned for, uh, what are your goals for this year? Because you know, that post is going to come up in early January, right? So, uh, looking forward to hearing what your goals happen to be and everybody else, of course, as well. Uh, two questions left. One from Alan, uh, as we continue to run in spite of having race days that may or may not ever happen, uh, this causes us to have training seasons that are never ending. How would you recommend programming in rest and recovery to prevent injury or just burnout? Cut back, quote unquote, easy weeks every few weeks or so, uh, several weeks of maintenance, or would you even go so far as, as to recommend having a purposeful season of run detraining? So um, I was on board with everything you said there until you got to that last little bit there, Alan, but uh, uh, we'll get to that in a second. So first of all, you know, like I kind of like I said when I was answering uh, Karen's question, like, you know, I think that, that if you can get to a point where your training becomes something where, you know, you're not as focused on a race. You're not as focused on building up your fitness to this one race day so that you're ready to go on race day. And like you said, I mean, maybe the race doesn't happen. And then you're trying to hold it there for another couple of weeks till the next race. And maybe that one doesn't happen. Like that's a, that's a tough spot to be, but if you can focus, especially right now with oh, so much uncertainty, focusing on building your base, maintaining your base, getting a good solid routine of consistent mileage and consistent effort and consistent recovery and things like that. So you're staying healthy. Um, I think that goes a long way towards preventing injury and just preventing burnout as well. You're enjoying it, but you're not pushing too hard. You're getting your miles in, you're getting those endorphins, you're getting the benefits, you're seeing some, some slow, but steady progress or growth or improvement. Um, that's a good place to be. That said, nothing wrong with a cutback week every once in a while. You know, that's certainly something that I, that I've done throughout the year, you know, have a, have a, a long run where, and normally for me, my cutback week is the long run, but you can be, you know, just take an extra day off, you know, having a, normally I'm running six days a week with Sunday being my only off day. And maybe once in a while, like Saturday or I'm not Saturday, but maybe sometimes Wednesday just becomes a bike day, you know, a little bit tired, a little bit fatigued. Like, Hey, let's just jump on the bike or let's just do yoga today. You know, no runs, no miles, just just some other type of, of workout. Or maybe it's just a, a straight up off day. You know, I've, I've, I have done that several times. Um, certainly several weeks of, of maintenance, which is what I would call just like normal training, right? Like it's just maintenance, base building, staying, staying easy. Um, but then that last little bit, a, a purposeful off season of, of run detraining. I don't like that word detraining. Um, I guess if you want to split hairs, I mean, I guess that's kind of what happens, but having an, an off period, having a, a, an off season where you maybe cut way back or maybe even don't run for a couple weeks. Like that's, that's not a bad thing. And, and the word detraining, like, and maybe you don't mean it as a bad thing, but maybe the word, the, the, the word detraining strikes me. as just like, Oh, like, no, like giving yourself a little bit of a break, giving yourself permission to not run for a couple of weeks and do other things, do some yoga, do some cycling, do some strength work, sleep in a little bit, get a little extra rest, allow your body to recover. Like that's not a bad thing at all. So, I mean, all of those options are, are fine. I think the, the only thing that we shouldn't be trying to do right now is trying to maintain like peak race readiness because that's just impossible to do. Like that, that's walking a fine line that eventually you're going to have a misstep and you're going to be injured. You're going to get burned out or, you know, like you're going to be in overtraining mode. So, you know, trying to, to, 
to maintain a level that's below peak fitness, but where you could ramp up in four weeks if you if you had a race you wanted to jump into, I think that's the perfect place to be. And in so doing, have a couple of of cutback weeks here and there. You know, ha- maybe have you know a, a week, you know, Thanksgiving week, Christmas week, New Year's week, something like that, where you know what, like I'm just not going to run this week, and I'm going to be okay with it. I'm going to do some other things, give my body a little break, and get back at it next week. Like that's okay too. Um, and the level of fitness you're going to lose, especially if you're still being active and still doing other things, is like next to nothing. So don't think about it as detraining. Just think about it as giving yourself a little break, a little bit of an off season. That's okay. That's okay. Um, but uh, I, I don't know. I mean, my, my my theory or my my take for myself when it comes to training is like I don't, you know, kind of process driven. You know, kind of like the question for for Heather there. Like I don't view the races as the goal. You know, I, I view the races as, as just part of the process, right? And like, I'm going to do my training. I'm going to build my fitness. I'm going to keep keep doing the things that I think are the right things, uh, you know, as far as the research and as far as the experts and as far as the science point towards. And, you know, when there's a race that comes out of my horizon and oh, I'm going to have a race in a, in a couple of months, like I might tweak things a little bit to try to peak a little bit for that race. But like, I don't, I don't like go crazy in race mode. And then when I don't have a race on the calendar, drop way down. Like I used to, but that, then you just, it's like a freaking yo-yo man. Like it's just, it's constantly, you know, trying to build up and then letting it all go. And then like being frustrated about how, you know, how, how much the fitness has dropped in the last two months because you haven't run as much because it's off season. Cause you're not racing right now. And I'm trying to build back up. You're like, no, just maintain, maintain. I think, I think maintenance is, uh, you know, kind of that, that, that base building level, which is why I talk about it so much. I think it's the best place to be because it allows you the ultimate flexibility to take a week off. No factor. Oh, I got a race in, in, uh, in a month. Awesome. Build up. No factor. You've got plenty of time because we've got a good, strong base to build from. So, um, I don't know if I'm, if, if this is making sense, Alan, but, and I, I feel like as per usual, I'm kind of talking myself in a bit of a circle, but I think kind of being in that maintenance mode is, is the best place to be a little cutback once in a while, maybe a little bit longer, a little bit heavier week once in a while, just to kind of balance it out. Um, and just kind of trying to, to keep yourself in a good place mentally and physically so that when there's a little more confidence that races are going to happen, you got a quick buildup instead of like feeling like you have a, a big 20, 20 week slog up the mountain to be ready to go on race day. Like, nah, give you, put yourself in a position where you only have four or six weeks to go. And I mean, that's a, that's a great place to be great place to be. So hope that helps Alan. Um, and, uh, and thank you for the question. Last but not least from, uh, from Ontario, from, from the great, the great white North of Canada, uh, Corey's question. Hello. If this has been asked before, sorry for the repeat question. I think it's been asked before Corey. But no worries. No worries. Happy to, uh, to answer the question again because I'm sure if you have it, there might be a few others that uh, maybe missed it the first time around. I don't even remember if it was on the podcast, if it was just in the Facebook group. Like, I don't remember. So let's dive into it. Uh, I'm sure I'm not the only one doing this with all the races being canceled and to help kind of keep me motivated. I have uh, been doing a lot of like race days for myself that are more like a time trial type of thing than actual a proper race, but kind of highlight in a day today's, you know, time trial day or race day for the 10K or the 5K or the half marathon or whatever. Uh, my question is, if you have a great quote unquote race instead of PB or a PR, depending on whether you call it a personal best or personal record, uh, would you count that this as a PB time? I understand it won't meet qualification times for races and is not a certified course, but would you be willing to say it is a personal best time? I've had some good debates on, on this over the past year. What are your thoughts? So, um, I'm going to absolutely answer your question out of both sides of my mouth, Corey. Like it's my show. <laughs> I can, I can contradict myself if I want to. Right. Um, first and foremost, I totally am on board with the idea that like, if you run a PR, if I run a PR or a PB, I'm going to call it a PR. Cause that's, that's the language I speak. Um, but if in your, you know, for your question, if, if I'm going to run a PB in any distance, I don't care if it's a race or not. If that's the fastest I've ever covered 13.1 miles, 3.1 miles, 400 meters, 10 K, whatever. 
Like, that's the fastest I've ever run it. Of course it counts, right? Of course it counts. Just because it's 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 on my own. I mean, I would make the argument that doing it on my own without other runners, without spectators, without the excitement of a race day, it actually makes it a little bit harder to run a PB or a PR, right? Like, I think that's a valid argument to make. And I think that, that calling it your own PR, your own PB is absolutely justified. However, <laughs> and where I talk out of the other side of my mouth and, and the point you make is, is hundred percent valid as well. Like you, you can't count towards like a Boston qualifier. It can't count towards seating in a race or things like that, right? Like it can't count for that because it's not, it's not certified. It's not measured. It's not legit. Like as far as, you know, having exact in an exact time, cause you know, your garment could be like, like there's so many variables that, that aren't in place or so many checks and double checks that aren't in place when you're running it on your own versus when you're running it at a race. So like, like, all right, I get that. Um, but, but really where, where my somewhat hesitation comes in is that when you run a 10 K, right? When it's a, when it's a, when it's a race day, 10 K, the course is measured out following the tangents, right? And, and, and when we run it, we start our watch right at the finish line. We stop our watch right when we, or we don't start our watch at the finish line. Typically we usually start it at the starting line and then we, we hopefully stop it right at the finish line. And just about every race I've ever run, no matter what the distance is, I look down and I'm like, well, daggum, you know, that 10 K that's supposed to be 6.2 miles ended up being, you know, 6.35. All right. Or that, that, you know, when I ran Marine Corps last year, um, you know, it should have been 26.2 miles, right? Pretty sure my watch was like 27 point, I don't know, point four, 27 point one. Like, I feel like it was 27 something. And, uh, you know, like, like that's not the marathon's fault. It wasn't, they didn't mismeasure the course. It's just from bobbing and weaving and running around people and different, you know, not taking the perfect tangent on every, on every line that, that adds distance to your race. And so for me, like there's a difference between official PRs or official race PRs and like actual PRs or PBs, right? Like, and, and maybe this is splitting hairs and maybe this is a difference that's only in my head. And, and, and I, again, I, if I had to gun to my head, pick one or the other, like you ran it, you know, that it was, that it was legit, that it was 10 K or it was, it was 5 K or half marathon or whatever. Um, call it, call it a PR. Absolutely. Personal, right? Like no matter it's a PR, it's a PB personal is right there in the name. If you decide it's personal, if you decide it's your, it's your PR PB, I'm not arguing with you. Thing I'm, the thing I'm hesitant on, the thing that I, 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 I waver on is that in a race, you know, at Marine Corps, I couldn't stop my watch at 26.2 and be like, aha, new PR. I mean, not that I was running a PR day, but I had to cross the finish line to finish my race. So, you know, when, when you're doing your own time trial, when you're doing your own S and G type of, of event, like odds are it's not so much a certified course. It is whenever your GPS says you've gone 26.2 or 13.1 or 6.2 or 3.1 or whatever. Right. And so there's just a little bit of a disconnect in my head of like in an actual race, I would have had to gone farther probably to cover the full distance to be able to classify it as a PR. But at the same time, like if I go out and you know, my, my, my race day PR of the 5k is like 1957, 56, something like that. I don't know that I could do it. Anymore. I probably couldn't do it right now. But if I went out tomorrow and just did a, a 5K time trial by myself 
and hammered it at 1930, you bet your ass I'm saying that my, I'm a 1930 PR. Like you, a hundred percent, my PR in the 5K is, is 1930. All right, at least that's what I'm going I'm to consider it for myself. Now, if I had to, to write down you know, official race results, obviously I couldn't write that down. But like I did it, and I know that I did it, and I know that I didn't, you know, cut the course. I didn't run, you know, 2.7 miles and call it a 5K, right? Um, so I mean, to me, it's personal, right? Personal best, personal record. If you're if you're cool with being like, yeah, you're dig, you're dig, I'm right. I ran a I ran a time trial and called it a race, and it was faster than I've ever run a half marathon before. You, you better believe it's a personal record. It's a personal best. Absolutely. Who cares that it wasn't at a proper race? But if you're a little bit more of a traditionalist, I can see that argument that it wasn't at a race. You didn't, have, you know, like I get it. I get it. And I think it just comes down to personal, you, your personal choice, your personal opinion on that. Not right. Not wrong. So it's, it's your call, your call to make. So how's that for waffling, contradicting, and then not picking an answer at the end? Sometimes I even impress myself around here. <laughs> thank you for the question, Corey. And thank you for the questions. Everything. We are at the end of whatever episode. I don't even know what episode this is. Um, probably should check that out, but we are at the end of the, the November Q and a you ask, I answer. That's how things work around here. And uh, thanks for hanging out. We're going to pull in right about at two hours, which is a little bit, uh, you know, four questions ago. I didn't think we'd get to two hours and yet somehow here we are. So, uh, we'll, we'll get re- ready to start wrapping this one up. But once again, guys, um, if you're new to this part, if, if you like this, if you want to get some questions answered, join the Facebook group, facebook.com slash Diz runs is the place to be. We, we have this post every single day. Uh, some for me, some from other people as well, lots from other people as well. Um, uh, but, uh, you know, we always enjoy getting the feedback and cheering each other on and cracking some jokes and helping each other out. Um, and then somewhere in the middle of the month, you know, middle of next month, middle of next month, whatever it is, uh, I'm going to put a post up that says, what are your questions this month? And, uh, you throw them down. And maybe we'll get to that point where, where I can, you know, make Chris short happy and have a, a part A and a part B for the listener Q and a, uh, that today is not that day today. We're just have one long one and, uh, you know, you're welcome to break it up into chunks if that's what works better for you. Um, but, uh, that's, that's the place to do that is, is in the Facebook group. And, uh, if, if you have questions from today's episode, or if you have feedback from today's episode, what was your favorite question? What was my worst answer? How much of a clown do you think I am? Whatever it is. Let me know on Facebook or not on Facebook. I mean, you can find me on Facebook, but on Instagram and Twitter, that's where I really like to hang out. Uh, my handles at Diz runs at both places. So you can leave me, uh, some feedback, some updates, some questions, some answers, some, uh, whatever, some shenanigans, some memes, some gifs, some tomfoolery. I'm down for it all at Diz runs on Twitter at Diz runs on Facebook. You can also send an email uh, with your thoughts from today at Diz. Goodness grace. You can tell my mind is not where it needs to be right now. Like I'm ready to just be done recording. We're going to get there eventually, but my email is not at disruns, but it's disruns at gmail.com. That's where you can send the emails uh, with all the same stuff, shenanigans, tomfoolery, suggestions, uh, how much of a clown I am, whatever, disruns at gmail.com. And of course, you can point your browser over to the show notes today, which you can get to at disruns.com slash 895, disruns.com slash 895 for today. As per usual, I put way more time and effort and thought and, and energy into the memes and the gifs and stuff that are parts of the answers to the questions. Um... So, you know, if you want to check it out, go for it. Uh, and, of course, there's links in there as well. Um, and also down at the bottom of the page, there is the uh, comment section. And so you can leave your thoughts and feedbacks and comments and takeaways and shenanigans and tomfooleries there as well. Dizruns.com slash 895. And with that, we'll go ahead and wrap this one up. Woo! And I still have a voice left. Imagine that. Wasn't sure that was going to happen, but here we are. So 
y'all, thanks for listening to this one as per usual. Uh, thanks for being something I'm thankful for. You know, I'm thankful for uh, the ability to talk to you guys uh, a couple times a week. Uh, the fact that you keep coming back to listen is somewhat astonishing. Uh, it tells me that you're somewhat of a, of a glutton for punishments, or gluttons for punishment. Um, and I appreciate you. And I'm glad to call you as my friends. And, uh, you know, one of these days, maybe Jill will get some stuff together and we'll have some type of get-together, running party, something or another when it's safe to do so. Uh, but until then, y'all, please be well. Take good care. Thanks again for listening. And uh, thanks for all the great questions. And uh, we'll talk soon, right? See you guys.